Welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, uh, episode 11. My name is Steve Hendrickson, and with me as always is uh, Lawrence Harmon. What's up? What's up? I am uh, exhausted because this weekend work has been um, pretty trash, relatively speaking. So I'm already half a bottle of tequila deep, and you're getting Thirst for Knowledge after dark. Just the the raw, mostly less filtered, you know... We out here, gang, gang. <laughs> I mean, I've already had a couple glasses of wine myself. Um, I'm not as uh, I drink vodka once in a while, tequila only when I want to get crazy. So I drink tequila on weekdays regularly, and I'm currently eating biryani. So you know, what's up? Let's let's do it. Let's hop right in. <laughs> so go straight into the uh, this weekend that we just had. Yeah, legacy wise, um. We had like a mock quarterly and a we have like the additional legacy quarterly, which I didn't realize were coming up and then someone mentioned them to me like early last week. And I was like, Oh, I guess I have to play in those, right? There wasn't a question of like what I was gonna play. I was gonna play Rug Delver and I'd been testing Oko and I realized like sometime in the middle of the week that I was like fifteen oh in my last three leagues and I was like, Oh, I guess I'll just do this. Um and I hop in the mocks and just bomb it completely. And I don't know, like I have really bad tournament anxiety for these online tournaments. It's it's really weird. I don't get it, but uh, it's a thing that happens, and it's really frustrating to uh, keep it buck with you. But um, for the legacy quarterly, I cut true name and added hooting mandrels uh, because Tan kept yelling at me, and Dylan Hovey kept yelling at me, and I was like, True Name can't be that bad or whatever. Like, I think True Name is fine. I played two practice leagues, and I played the the quarterly. And I think there are only, like, two positions where I wanted um, True Name over Hooting Mandrels. And every other time I cast Hooting Mandrels, it was a position where True Name wasn't castable. So I was really happy with the card. Uh, so going forward, I'm probably likely to play some number of them. And looking at the list that won the quarterly, I'm I'm kind of a fan of it. Uh, there are some cards that I don't like personally that I'd probably swap to other things. Um, this is Sorbo One's list. It has uh, three Ren and Six, four Delver, two Hooting Mandrels, four Tarmogoyf, two True Name, four Ponder. We'll post the link. He the notable things are these three Stifles in his list, and um, I. I'm kind of liking the stifle list a bit. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of playing the card stifle because it's a really low floor card, really high ceiling. But uh, over the weekend, I can't remember his name. It may have been Zach Dunn or someone else. Yeah, it was Zach Dunn. Uh, he tweeted out that he like played Rugged Over and hated uh, what is the card Hex Drinker because it's just like it's Savannah Lions. And I responded to his tweet saying, yeah, we basically just play it as a one-drop. It's not like a particularly good card. It's just a card you play. And um, I think that's still kind of the case. I like the fact that Stifle lets you just not play that card because you have additional one-drop plays. And I think Hooting Mandrels and Trading Nemesis are just way better cards at face value. I've been playing... Uh, 
uh, hex drinker for the last couple weeks, and it has I, I rarely level it up. It's just a two one one drop that I get to play to like supplement my curve. But I don't know. I may try a stifle list coming up here soon. We'll see. I've been playing stifle. I think since I saw it at the SCG event, the team event. Um, but I've been playing hex drinkers with stifle. Because I kind of liked, that's why I went to Stifle, was because I could reduce the amount of big pl- big mana plays and more like one drop, one drop, double spell turns. So I could see not liking the Hex Drinkers uh, because their, their floor is pretty low, but I like them with Stifle because it's easier to play it and then have the Stifle. That's why in that same list, I also play Boots over uh, True Name. So I'm kind of like really like, I always have open the interaction well like hex drinker is literally just like a curve filter you're not playing it because of the level up mode you're playing it mostly because it's a one drop um i don't level it up that much it's it's literally just there because i can like go turn one ponder find a one drop days on turn one play a one drop and not really anything else uh but hooting mandrels really impressed me um i'm generally a fan of true name because there's a subset of matchups usually the green deck where you just play True Name and, like, are able to kill them through their Night of the Reliquary or whatever. So, um, I'm not quite sure where I want to go next with Rug Delver. Um, I'm slowly kind of leaning into Modern as, like, a thing to do. There's a GP coming up that I may play. There's an SCG coming up that I've committed to a team for. Um, so I need to relearn that format. But I'm Definitely a fan of this list for the most part, or just like the overall idea behind it. I don't know about the 18 lands. I feel like 18 lands in a Delver format is kind of tough, especially with True Name. He had 18 with True Name. But maybe, I mean, he won, so there is some. Yeah, I played against them. And I played their game, uh, played game two, like super terribly. I don't know. I just like got really anxious and started playing around cards that like, weren't relevant to the game state and i for some reason thought he had true name it was just a, it was really bad um if i get the time i'll make videos going over my matches from the event and people will get to see this particular match he was one of my two losses my other being monorid stompy just having uh kind of the like the nuttiest draws i've seen out of that deck um well game two their draw is pretty nutty. They had like a Simeon Spear Guide Trinisphere draw, and I spell Pierce, and they had double Simeon Spear Guide left over. So it's just like, okay, happens. Can't really get mad at that. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do? It's like Moon Zombie. That's going to happen just a, a percentage of the time. You just move on with your life. So playing like an eight round event and feeling like only one match I could have played particularly better. I'm pretty happy with, and um, I know patron of the podcast, Dylan Hovey, also went 6-2 with a similar list that I played. I posted my list in sideboard notes on our Patreon over the weekend. Uh, Anders uh, didn't do as well, but he has been playing some Rug Delver, and then a couple other homies did well with Rug Delver, Daniel Goschel, GP Niagara champion, and then... um, Eternal Weekend Europe 2016, something, 16, 17-ish, uh, champion 
Thomas Machine, uh, you know, Machine La Machine, as they call him in France, um, also went 6 2. So, Rodover kind of crushed. Um, I posted a tweet of kind of a breakdown of what did, of the top 32. And people have been tweeting at me, filling in the, you know, the places that I missed. So, when I get a chance, I'll go through and fill in those extra spots and post it for people to see. But it seemed like Rug Delver had a pretty consistent showing of like six, two or better. I definitely think, yeah, the, uh, in the greater picture, the top eight was actually kind of diverse. I mean, in the fact that it was combo versus Delver, <laughs> like a different, I, I guess there was a DNT guy that just got lucky, but mm. two, two DNT people. Koge is like, a gnome D&T grinder is pretty good um, in my experience playing against them. Uh, the top eight's like oddly diverse. It's like one Sylvan Plug, Strifo, um, two D&T, a Delver, uh, Tess, Ant, and then Elves, and that's about it. So I think it's a reasonable top eight. When I say lucky, it's because Elves is in that top eight, so they, you know, they had to like take i guess that loss is one of their only losses if they played against them going into in the swiss but you know that's a pretty miserable matchup for elves and then the sylvan plug was a different kind of build and it could probably give dnt some fits as well yeah it's interesting seeing elves and dnt pop up which makes sense though because um Plague Engineer as a card is dropped in play, right? You aren't seeing as many of the four-color control decks. The four-color Delver deck has basically just died, and people are just playing Rug Delver for the most part. Um, and then on top of that, like, there's just a lot of the general Delver shells, which are good matches for D&T and uh, Elves. Even though, like, Ren and Six exists, it's still a thing you can overpower. For the most part, in like a lot of the uh, Delver lists are like getting very much more mid rangey. You're seeing a lot more um, Oko and other cards like that, right? Yep. So it's like Legacy is kind of self correcting back to where it was, where you had a lot of these cards that were, um, or just creature or decks that were like very built for the mid range matchup. And there aren't many sweepers happening. You know, there aren't really Tundra decks in the top 16, if any. Okay, so there's a... The Helm, the Rip Helm. <laughs> yeah, there's Rip Helm in 14th place, and that's it. That's the only Tundra deck. Other than that, it's like Delver... And they Well, they didn't have any sweepers either. Right. It's it's like 16th place is me, 15th place is Grixis Delver, 14th is Rip Helm. Then there's... Um, King Regal, who is Austin Blackner. So he's the guy who got to the finals of GP Atlanta and lost to Cyrus. Uh, he played Blackbird Reanimator. Um, then you have Duplicator, which I don't... I Negator 77, Alt. Sorry, Tom. You may have to make another account. Uh, love you, homie. But played Bug Depths. And then... Um, you know, you're seeing like Delver, Delver, Manless Dredge in ninth place, which isn't a surprise. But um, it surprised me that 
Uh, like I said, the DNT, I feel like some of these matchups would have been tough because I think Mandalus Dredge is probably tough for them because they're in their interactions slow. Potentially, these tournaments are weird because, like, you know, you aren't getting paired against all these people. Um, Mandalus Dredge in ninth is interesting because I know I made the switch to two Graphickers, Cage One Surgical in Delver. And I know a lot of other people have been leaning hard on Graphicker's Cage because with Force and Negation entering the format, like, part of the reason to play Surgical Attraction was uh, Black Red Reanimator existing. And you wanted, like, six plus, six to eight, like, free interactive points against that deck. And before it was, like, four Force of Will plus two to three Surgical. Now it's four Force of Will, two Force and Negation, and then one surgical, and then you just have Grafdigger's cages. So I had played a match against um, Black Red, where they go turn one Faithful Saluting, I force a Willet through their Chancellor just to break their Chancellor, hope they don't have like an Unmask or something, or Lotus Petal Foxes, and I untap play Grafdigger's cage. And that was just the game. I definitely think that you, like, the matchups are a lot different with Force of Negation in the, um, the mix-up. Plus, I mean, sometimes Surgical had, like, other instances where, like, you force a will show and tell, but now, and then you surgical it, but sometimes, like, you now force of negate it and you lose that ability. So I could definitely see, like, Surgical dropping in numbers. Yeah, like, I have, the, I have the one Surgical for that very reason, like, force will show and tell surgical it. Or, like, you know, sometimes you play against Loam, but the number of decks where you want to actually have Surgical Extraction has definitely just dropped. Um well, the loam, the loam is what I, the other force of negation actually deals with that nonsense, right? Right. Until like, they find the next one. Right. Like, loam isn't a very common deck, or like, there's the Shrek the Musical deck, the Naya Dark Depths loam map, Knight of the Reliquary deck, whatever. Uh, and that's not a super common shell. And then you have uh, lands, which is almost unplayed at this point. I think I've played against Lambs like twice in the last like few months. It's actually kind of ridiculous. In Agrolima, I've played once or twice in the last few months. You know, same story. Like, uh, you know, Matthew Vook is out here thugging it out, keeping it real on these streets. Well, they only play one Life of the Loam now, anyways, because they're running six. Right. They only play one Loam. Like, the card Surgical has just lost so much stock compared to before that people are playing more like permanent based hate and part of that is because everyone wants to have answers for ant or just like more more things that are playable against ant right and like i feel like the delver decks or i know the delver decks are getting way like mid-rangey it's it's like ren and six main deck and oko main deck and if you look at the shells it's like game one combo deck game plan is just to hope and pray like just you know Thoughts and prayer. Um, we all know those don't do anything. There was a Grixis Delver deck that won the mocks, and the same list did top sixteen in the um, the format challenge. And the deck, the Grixis Delver deck, looks like a very good answer to um, Storm if it became more prevalent. I don't know about two. Does it? I don't know about two Brazen Borrowers, but they have Thought Seizes and and Counter Magic. It doesn't. I played a lot of Grixis Delver, and this list is just like, meh. Like, I, no, I, I don't. So I don't. 
like the list. I like the color combination to fight. Yeah, like I, I always felt like my storm matchup was pretty good with Rick Stelver, but like this list is like you get a lot of like you're not you're not playing spell pierce or spell snare, so you get a lot of equity from people playing around those cards that you don't have, right? And the list has like seven cantrips, two reanimate, three thoughtsies, and it's like, well, if you're just like thoughtsies reanimating your opponent's voice all day, that makes sense. But it's one of those deck lists where, like, it's good when people don't see your deck list, and then once people do see your deck list, they just disrespect it. Like, uh, Minguchi posted the deck list on Saturday night saying, Hey, my friend went 8 0 in the mocks, Rissus Delver is great, whoop, whoop. And I played against Rissus Delver, and I just disrespected them. It was just like, Okay, Days is a card, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna play around Spell Pierce or Spell Center or anything. I just play my effects and just bodied them. It was not even close. Um, I like some of their deck or card selection, like Gilded Drake, etc. But I feel like this deck list is just like capitalizing on people's ignorance as opposed to having an intrinsically good game plan. Like, I think it's fine to capitalize on people. It's like not knowing what's going on. But there's only so far you can get with that, right? Yeah, I mean... I like the color combination. The deck list itself, I don't particularly... I'm not jiving with it. I think it's removal only for lightning bolts is kind of insane. I mean, I guess you get the borrowers, but that's only a temporary solution to certain things. Um, 19 lands when your biggest spell is the back half of Brazen Borrower kind of baffles me a little bit. Like I feel like this could be an this could easily be an eighteen land deck versus the 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 Rub Delver deck. I like nineteen so, lands when you're playing against like the Ren and Six format, right? You just need more lands. Like you don't have Ren and Six to survive, so it's not like the stifle uh, Rudless that have eighteen lands and they can like stifle your wasteland and play the Ren and Six and like get their lands back and keep going. You have to just have a higher land count, right? And I guess, I, yeah, I get what they're doing with Brazen Borrow. It's like your opponent plays Tarmogoy. If you Brazen Borrow, bounce it, you attack with their Dread Hurricane, a Stock Tease it, and then you like reanimate it, maybe. But that's just like so many moving pieces. It's, it's three cards, four cards, right? It's four cards. It's just, <laughs> there's just so much going on there, and I feel like just like put Fatal Push in your deck, right? I, I want, I would definitely, well, or, um. You can stick to blue red and at least have a magmatic sinkhole. Like, yeah, blue red know. is weird. There's, there's like one guy in the red over Discord who's been doing well with blue red, but every time I play against that deck, I just absolutely clown it. And, no, I, um, I meant, I'm sorry, I meant blue red. Like you could stick to your blue red early drops and oh. have magmatic sinkhole. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Sure, sure, sure. Like, if yeah. you want to stick to just staying blue-red as long as you can. I don't know, because he's got Thought Seizes and Reanimate, so he's quickly going black. But, you know, like, if he wanted to stay blue-red and not play the push, you could still play some cool. Yeah, like, to fully understand this list, I'd have to play a bit more of it. Um, at face value, it's a bit weird. Like, I get Gilded Drake, that's cool. Um, I could see, like, Red Delver playing, like, one. It's just an extra thing for show and tell, and then like maybe a Barrett Lage. Um, but I'm not sure. Like, I played 
I made a lot of treats to my list over this weekend. And I was playing two Vapor Snag, one Submerge, and I ended up playing two Submerge, one Vapor Snag. Or no Vapor Snags, actually. I played a main deck Brazen Borrower. And part of that was because of the mirror. I had four answers technically to Merit Lage because I had Oko in my deck. And um, it was just okay. Like, like Oko's great. Uh, Brazen Borrower is just okay-ish. You're not really super happy to draw the card, but you're not unhappy. It's just, like, a thing you can do with your mana. But, like, the submerges just, like, wildly fluctuate against um, Depths. Because, like, I played against Depths opponents who have Bayou in their deck, and I play against people who have um, Nurturing Peatland. So the card just doesn't do anything, and it's really awkward. So I'm not quite sure where to go from there. Uh, I did do like a judge call because I was curious, or a Twitter judge call, I was curious how Brazen Borrowers or Petty Theft, the spell side of it, interacts with Brandon's Emblem, and apparently you can flash it back, which is uh, interesting. What? I guess. No. Appar- apparently you can. Uh, I like tweeted this out. I had someone go, I don't think that works. I was like, I don't think it works either. And I had another judge go like, because of rule 603.12 or something, you can because of, in the graveyard, it's all something or rather. I don't know. Um, (laughs) So maybe that's something to clarify. There is a chance that you can like flashback petty theft if you have a written six emblem. Uh, So yeah. I, maybe that's something to do. I'm desperately searching through your Twitter feed currently to see this ruling because um, the last. Oh my! It's not worth it, my guy. Okay. You're looking for a response tweet from like over the weekend. True. It's Thursday. There's been a lot of shit posting. There's been <laughs> a lot of black Twitter. There's just been. I I just they're they're creatures in all zones. Um, except for when you cast them as a spell. That was the one thing that I, when I read the whole feed on it, and I was kind of, because I was like, I got sad, because I wanted to be able to snap cast some of this stuff. You can't snap cast them, but apparently you can run six. If somebody can clarify, that would be great. I don't play enough Paper Magic to care, and running six emblem plus, like, unsummoned didn't come up ever. Um, I'm not sure how much legacy I'm going to be playing soon, so I don't know. Oh um, man, I got uh, I. I um, did some rules. I did some rules looking up. That's for, uh, for for Oko and humility, and based on the layers, <laughs> based on the layers, Oko after humility makes three threes still because his timestamp. Yeah, but Oko pre humility makes four fours, right? Uh, or like if you play no, humility, no, no. they be all, all become no, they all become one ones, right? Yeah, yeah, they become one ones. Yo, no. but like after humility or Oko activations after humility makes three threes, and you know what's cool in a world of one ones, elks. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Oko is hilarious. Like that car, it's it's a it's ridiculous. So I I, I had a Twitter thread where. Uh, we were talking about Liliana's Veil and how it's just not playable. I believe it was the Eddie Zamora. And someone chimed in that 
Liliana the Veil should be errated to plus one for the edict for like balance purposes. And that's basically what Oko is. It's just like come into play, like nerf your creature. It's it's so ridiculous. Like the card wasn't insane for me over the weekend. Uh, it was like very it's been good for me basically every time I played it. But uh over the weekend tournament it was like kind of whatever. Um Steven got a side or a text or message from a side chick. Uh, yeah. we're, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> At the same good. time, it sounded like a Kingdom Hearts sound, so I'm not even sure which one's uh, better. <laughs> well, we'll say it's a Kingdom Hearts sound, so you know there's no divorces happening in the future, yeah. right? <laughs> um, no, but like Oko, it's ridiculous how like good the card is just at invalidating things. Your opponent goes, "Here's my thing," and you're just like, "Yeah, so that's a nice." non-evasive 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous that it adds, like, loyalty. Like, if Oko was minus loyalty to turn something into an elk, that's that would be fine. But, like, you know, I had a friend describe it as, like, why does this card plus one to beast within? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, when you, when you think of it as beast within, that's ridiculous. Or, like, saw a tweet where someone was, like, my opponent, like, got mana screwed on Darth Seal Citadel. So I played Oko and turned the Dark Steel Citadel into an elk. And it's just like, yeah, that's a thing you can do. <laughs> Why? Ah, uh, at plus loyalty. I actually have other issues with it, but yeah, like I was looking at. I, I've been trying to look up rules because Oko makes my head hurt. So like, there's a new card in the Commander set. It says if you control a token creature, tap it, draw a card. Are you familiar with this card? Yeah, I don't think Oko makes well, tokens, though. Unless right, you turn the food right. Turn, right? <laughs> so is that a token creature? Because it was a token and it's now a creature. Like, this is like... Uh, I don't know, man. I'm... I'm not going to pretend to be well-versed in a firm <laughs> action, so... It, it, is, it is awkward. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's funny to me. Firm like, <laughs> action. For affirmative game states, game right? states. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's... For real, man. It still bothers me. Because I was, like, looking at that. It's, I think it's, like, Idol, Idol of Oblivion or some nonsense name that's not... Some of the... Some of the like mono red decks yes. or something. Like like because the it if it has a mode where like if you tap some like small amount of mana, uh if you made a token this turn you draw a card. So it like pairs really well with all your goblins or something. It is idle. Idle idle of oblivion. Yeah, two mana tap draw a card if you activate this old ability only if you created a token this turn. Oh, created a token. Oh. Oh, well, we're done. You just make food. Cool. Uh, oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah. Eight mana, sack it, create a 10-10. I don't think that they need the second mode. They just play the first mode. Between the two... Because they're playing Rabble Master and Legion War Boss and Hang War Garrison or whatever that nonsense card is. Yeah. Like, it's, it's gross. And Karn. Um, yeah, they play cards too. So it's been interesting watching deck development in Magic over the last two weeks, 
because it's been basically people going, I have Island in my deck and I have Forest in my deck. I should put three Okos in my deck. And then they do, and it's good. And that's it. That's just I'm so glad it. you said that because I that's that was something that we didn't talk about. And I was gonna mention it to you that Oko to me is busted in half because it's good in a aggro deck, it's good in a mid-range deck, and it's good in a control deck. <laughs> someone tweeted out, someone made a comment about like playing Oko, and someone's like, are you playing Oko Prison? Are you playing Oko Aggro? Are you playing Oko Control? Are you playing Oko this? Are you playing Oko that? And I was like, isn't just having Oko in your deck and automatically make the answer yes for all of those questions? Like, like once you put Oko on the table, like the world is your oyster. You just do whatever. Like you just body bag them. Just give them a McThick dick, right? Uh, like, I mean, so like Oko is removal. Oko is a Better Blossom. Oko is... Because somebody was like, well, you only get the three threes every or the turn. I'm like, right, but that's still more power than a Bitter Blossom, and you don't lose life. So, and, you know, it's a Shatter. You've got a Shatter, a Removal Spell, and a Better Blossom. All in one card. Yeah, there's, like, been a discussion in the Rug Delver Discord, just like, you know, people going like, is Oko really good? You give them a three three. And it's like, I get it, Oko's like one of those cards where um, it doesn't seem that powerful until you play it and you're just like, oh, this is really messed up. And uh, I don't, it's just so hard to like explain. Just play the card and you'll just go, oh, why? Why is this a thing I'm doing? Why, why can't I do this? Like, you know, I played a game where like, I swing against white eldrops, and I turn their elk in, or their chalice into an elk, and I got to cast all my one drops, and my hand was all one drops. I was like, sweet, thank you, Oko. And then they played a sword of fire knights, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna make a food, and I'm gonna steal their sword of fire knights next turn. And I was like, oh, I didn't actually read my card, so apparently I can't steal the sword of fire knights, so I'm just gonna turn it into an elk. And uh, I won that game easily. <laughs> it was just not close, like. There's a subset of matchups where Oko just washes your opponent's deck. It just invalidates, like, slow-paced threats, and that's kind of what Legacy is. It, like, most decks in Legacy aren't really going super wide. They're going, like, one, two, whatever. They're, they're like, fairly narrow in terms of threats. Yeah, they protect the queen strategies. And and Oko steals the queen and makes him, you know, makes him hers. Whatever. Like, because, <laughs> I mean, they're all protect the queen at this point right like between merit lage and everything else right like last week we talked about like all the stories of people i know just like untapping casting oko and killing merit or emrakul or whatever but well they have it's, they it's, have to right because you're a rug delver like they can't wait look it's minorly vomiting inducing that i'm playing more planeswalkers in my rug delver list than I've ever played in a mirror. It's kind of funny, actually. Or actually, so actually, there was that one GP where I played a Gideon ally of Zendikar and wished it was another copy of Monastery Mentor. So I have matched the number of Planeswalkers I've, I've played in Miracles in Rug Delver. But it's just one of those things where, like, if four years ago, if I had come up to you and, like, yo, dog, in four years, Rug Delver is going to have just as many Planeswalkers, if not more. 
than miracles. You'd call me an idiot, right? You'd just be like, what are you smoking? Like, what, like, who is your dealer so I can avoid them? Because the crack they are giving you is way too fire. And it's like, like, I played three Ren and Six plus one Oko. Hovi played three Ren and Six plus two Oko. Uh, Daniel played three Ren and Six plus two Oko as well. And we all six twoed. I got top 16 on breakers. They uh, unfortunately didn't. Right. So it's one of those things where, like, why is this like pseudo bitter blossom planeswalker also a council's judgment that just like also gain just like the fact that you just randomly gain life is kind of obnoxious. You just kind of get to do whatever with your life. Well, Patrick um, Sullivan, did you hear? He said um, it might have been on your picture. He was talking about you were you posted Oko versus Burn. And then he talked about it in, in modern and on the modern open. He was had Oak, all three of Oko's abilities are relevant against the burn deck. <laughs> so it was kind of it was kind of funny. It was like ever there's four modes. There's the has a million loyalty mode, has the makes you know uh, cards that say your lightning bolts don't matter, has steal your stuff, make it doesn't matter, and then you know. It's just like every one of his modes is insane against Burn. Yeah, I I don't know how many times I've untapped with Oko against Burn, but I know I haven't lost when I've resolved that card. It's kind of hilarious. Um, well, it fits in with uh, with Wizards' new direction. Wizards likes these one-sided Planeswalkers, and Oko is the ultimate one-sided Planeswalker as far as I have all the fun and you have none. If you play creatures, haha. If you don't, haha. <laughs> Well, there's this push in Magic, right, because of Arena to make all of your cards multifaceted, like the Throne of Eldraine cards. They're all creatures, they're all spells, or a lot of them are, right? So it makes sense to play your Planeswalker, where it's like, if your opponent has a board state, you can interact with it. If your opponent doesn't have a board state, you still get to do a thing that's also a mana sink, right? There's, There's this phenomenon I've noticed where... This isn't meant to disparage anyone. So you have, like, good, quote-unquote, good players. And good players like playing spells that actually have an impact on the game. So you'll hear good players make comments like, oh, I hate Ren and Six so much because, like, it it invalidates what I'm doing. It makes me feel not like I'm a relevant part of this game. Where newer or, like, more novice players or, like, players who haven't crossed a certain threshold they just want to be able to cast spells and they're less focused on like their spells doing something as opposed to just like them resolving. So like, that's where you get the whole, like, you know, cockatrice, 60 card deck, no LD, no counter spells, no discard. Right. It's like, I don't, I don't really care if my spells do something impactful for the game. I want them to resolve. And that's how the card design has been lately. It's like, you know, Oko invalidates everything that happens, but your creatures are still coming down, right? It's it's just kind of that whole dynamic. It's really weird and... Uh... Well, like, so standard, the last, like, three standards has been engine decks. Um, and that's Wizards' direction. And, like, I, kind of, I agree with what you're saying, I think, but it's big on engine decks. These decks where you put these bunch of pieces together, whether it be the Kethis deck, the Golos 
deck that's current. Um, in the previous format, there was a Tashir combo deck. And there's a, they're, they're just these engine decks where they, you know, they, their pieces start coming down. They start clicking together more and more. Even the Urza deck in modern right now is a is an engine deck. And, you know, Oko doesn't care <laughs> about your engine deck. <laughs> It's like it's like no. Nope. It's like we're not going to counter your spells because we don't have to. We have this thing. It's got it all. <laughs> It'll take care of it all. I'll go like most definitely sipping tea in your hood. Like that's just it. It just comes down. And it's just like if you are doing things on board, it's likely going to invalidate them. So highly recommend playing it in whatever deck you have that can tap blue or green. Or blue and green mana, you know, it's free, and your opponent's gonna die. And that's basically it. I, it's so dumb. Like, it's so dumb. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm playing it in miracles right now, so I, it got me to play miracles, which I'm playing in rug also. But it got me to play miracles because I wanted to play astrolabes and oko. And I've been happy. You know, I stole a Tarmogoyf the other day. I laughed. Um, I don't have a tournament report from my weekend because I didn't get to play at my LGS. So, but um, I've been playing with friends and stuff and Oko's dumb. You know, I, you, you, you get to steal Goyfs and that's hysterical to me because Rugdelver's sorcery count is really low. So, Goyf is a, a lot of times the three power that Oko needs to steal it. Yeah, that's actually one thing I wanted to mention. I'm, I cut Preordain for Oko in my list, but I kind of went Preordain again. I'm not sure what to cut for it. Like, Rug Delver is hitting that point where there's just like this critical mass of good cards I can play. So, I'm not quite sure like what the cuts are for things, you know? If that if that makes sense, it's like I, no, you I, have you have the world is your oyster, right? It's like right the first now. world problem. <laughs> it's just like, oh no, what do I do? All of my cards are good, and I'm destroying people regardless. Like I'm not sure how to tune my deck because I just like destroy leagues leading up to events, and it's like, oh, yeah, fifteen zero easy. I didn't learn anything. I just slapped people around because I just like haphazardly made a change to my deck. And it worked with like no realistic logic behind it. And like, obviously, it's nice to do well in that regard, but it's also frustrating because, like, in the long term, like, the ultimate goal is to like learn, get a better idea of like how to build decks and how to tune them and how to address these like fluctuations in the format. And there's, there's something enjoyable about good stuff decks, but there is something like, very unenjoyable about games where you go here's my card i played it if you don't have an answer to it you're dead and that's kind of what a lot of like the delver games and legacy are it's like i played tarmogoyf and my opponent can't answer it they're dead i played Rin and six my opponent can't answer it they don't get mana i played oko and my opponent just like kind of died i guess or something i played true name or hooting mantles or whatever like i played a card my opponent couldn't deal with it, they died. Like, games aren't really, there isn't that back and forth, there isn't that uh, tension in terms of, like, who's going to win. 
it's just like a very clear dynamic of like yeah i'm i'm probably gonna win as opposed to having to sweat it out or like make a lot of like plays or like really think through the lines it's just like yeah uh i don't care what you do you're dead like force a will your one thing that maybe matters and keep moving on with my life i don't know if your experience has been the same uh when i play rock delver i um i think i've cut my spell pierces and spell snares to my sideboard because recently i found that you just tap out every turn until they give up so like i don't oh, ever it's real bold that's real bold. Yeah, I don't, you know, I. it's only against Storm and Show and Tell and Reanimator that I want those cards. And then all the other matchups, I just want to be able to go and tap out, you know, or tap out or hold up Stifle. So I guess, like, there is, like, the duality of I, I want Stifle, but so far I've found that uh, you can just you can just muscle your way through because the the power level of rugs cards right now you can just keep casting until they run out so i get where you're going for i'm not sure i agree like a lot of the rug deck lists are just like here's a bunch of mid-range cards and then here's like not enough counter magic to actually respect storm but like just enough to say i respect storm which is like definitely what my main deck is um and i think I, I don't know. I definitely want to like have something. Like I want to have those spell stars main. I want to. I want to be able to like maybe win those game ones. And I think right now Storm is very awkwardly just the best deck, which uh, is uh, pretty indicative of something wrong in the format, right? Like Storm is a pretty easy deck to hate out with. You just like play counterbalance, or like when there's control decks like Strifle Pile. I think Strifle Pile is um, really well positioned right now because it's good against the fair decks, but it also just like has enough disruption to also um, interact with the unfair decks and like win those matchups enough of the time. Or like, I I would imagine he's like sixty percent against Storm or something like that, right? So. When you have a deck like Storm where people are just like, this is the best deck, or I think it's like very clearly at the top end of the spectrum. Um, it it just shows like there's a lacking in what's going on in the format. And like it makes sense. Like the most common deck is for Delver. Delver shells are intrinsically like weak against Storm because of like, you know, Dark Wrench rule just like counters all of your dazes or whatever. And um when when you have that whole dynamic going on, of just like the Delver decks getting more and more mid-rangey, like they're adding more Planeswalkers to the deck. Like, is Oko correct to add to your deck? Probably. Are you going to get worse against Storm? Most definitely. Are there going to be a lot of Storm players that are going to be able to capitalize on this? No. And that's the like awkward dynamic, you know? When Cyrus is on, we talked about how it's probably not correct to metagame for a Storm, which I think is somewhat true at this point. Like, I think at this point, like, if you aren't respecting Storm, like I'm playing two Grafficker's Cage, I'm playing Null Rod. Like I, I added Null Rod to my deck for Storm, and I don't think I boarded it in at all this weekend. Um, 
maybe I played against Storm, I can't remember. But it's that whole situation of like Storm as a deck isn't something that you would normally want to metagame for because it's not a big enough percentage of the format. But right now you actively have to like be prepared for it because the matchup is very much unfavored to a degree where uh, if you aren't, you're just going to lose. You're like losing equity. And the Rug Delver deck is so good elsewhere that um, you, you can just do it. You can just like make those hedges for, you know, your worst matchup, quote unquote, and be fine against the rest of the format. Like I played a 14 card sideboard. Uh, like outside, I played two graphics, Hage and Surgical, and I have no rod. And I didn't bore those in that much. Like I played a 11 card sideboard basically for most of the weekend um, and did fine. So it's. It's just an awkward dynamic. Well, I think definitely, like, the format's racing. Like, that's kind of, like, what I meant when I said I just cast, you know, my stuff over and over again, and, you know, and eventually something sticks and I win. And I feel like that's kind of the racing thing that's going on with Legacy. It's more, like, of a modern metagame than a Legacy traditional metagame. Um, but the Storm deck will just crush everybody if that is the case. If everybody's just trying to tap out, you know, the storm deck's just going to laugh and not have to think real hard and win. Even like through just thought seize, you know, mm. thought seize and force a well, they can usually just beat that as well. Yeah, like so, and, the legacy format you have is just like two people throwing haymakers at each other, just slap boxing, right? And eventually just start like throwing hooks into each other's ribs. And then, like, the Storm deck is just like, I'm going to stab you in the kidneys. Like, I don't I don't want to deal with this, like, slapboxing bullshit. I'm, I'm not about this. I want you to have to get a kidney transplant and be on dialysis for the rest yeah, of your just, life. Like, that's what the Storm deck is doing. So. They just shiv you. They just shiv you in the crowd and then just keep whistling and walking on by. Like, you know, you know everything's fine. Don't pay attention. Yeah, they just, like, pull up on your block and they bleed it. Slide. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. It's one of those things. I. I don't know. Like I said, I. I. Uh, I think the meta game, since you know they keep banning cards in Legacy, you know, will will eventually become modern. <laughs> um. <laughs> as far as like, we'll just keep playing these powerful spells on each other. If they, you know, if if they. If the ban and restricted list are basically held together, you know, where certain things like I, I really think we could eventually become a modern metagame. What do you mean by modern metagame? Like in the sense that just like everybody is doing these overtly proactive things and yes. it's just kind of just like a who wins the die roll slash who does their thing first. Kind of like a yes. a world of not necessarily like in the abstract show and tell mirrors, it's just like turn two. Here's my thing. I'm doing it. Like, what are you gonna do about it? If you can answer it, cool. If you can't, then you're dead. Sort of dynamic. Yes. Yes. No, I I get you. Like, like magic game design has very much been skewed towards very proactive, powerful, undercosted effects, which is like <clears throat> like legacy as a format is where like cards go to die, right? Or like 
game mistakes go to live, I guess, is a better way of putting it. So yes. when you have more and more sets come out where there's just like more and more extremely push cards, then um you just get this whole dynamic of like what current legacy is. It's just like here's my two drop, can you deal with it? No, okay, cool, you're dead. Oh, I mean, that's where legacy I think is at. Um but it's and it's just I don't know. It reminds me of modern more. So, you know, I've I've actually looked at looked at modern more often now because <clears throat> modern actually has I think slower strategies. Um and I mean I mean Mox Opal's still a problem, but you know, for me the what people don't understand is when they ban Mox Opal, it'll be ancient stirrings, it'll be traverse. It'll be these undercosted effects because there's always going to be something that steps up to fill the void. You know, it's like how do I put it? So, Legacy as a format has traditionally been like here is a deck with like four really powerful cards held together by a bunch of other cards that are pretty low power level, right? You had like Rug Delver, where it was like four Tarmogoyf, and then every other card was just like very conditionally good, right? You know, Delver Secret, Stifle you know, lightning bolt, whatever. Uh, I think Delver was the powerful card. Sure. In that, I think it's actually always been Delver, but yeah, go ahead. Sure, it's like the same segment. Like, here are your good cards, and then the rest of your deck is like these very low power level cards that like spike in how good they are based on the game state. And that continued for a while. It was, it was just always that. Like, low power level cards with a few cards that were very powerful, and then you can't just holding it all together. And now you just have the dynamic of like four ponder, four brainstorm, and then haymakers. So like your cantrips have increased in power level relative to the format. Your haymakers are noxious. It's it's just kind of like like you said, it's more like modern where it's just like raw power as opposed to the finesse. Like there was a period of legacy where everyone was just like, man, my deck just like objectively sucks in the abstract. But, you know, based on my play and based on matchups or whatever, I could, you know, I could feel big brain and smart and, you know, I could leverage my effects and what have you. But uh, that is just like, it's going back to that point of, or not going back, it's going to the point of, uh, like we said before, just stabbing people in the kidneys. Just like... Yeah, if you look at, like, I mean, the the old, old days of, like, Canadian Thresh, that was a bunch of cards that were bad. Right. Was a that, whole bunch of cards. Like, <laughs> Canadian Thresh is, like, the, the hallmark. Like, you would you would hold on to your Brainstorm for as long as possible because you need to get the most value out of it because if your Brainstorm sucked, you probably died. Um, well, I'm not talking about Goose in your deck. The, oh, are you talking about Werebear? Are you, yeah, I'm talking about old Canadian Thresh before Delver. Oh before Delver. Because Delver, man, once Delver came out, that, that deck became a thing because Delver was busted in half. And and, and even those during the, the rain the reign of that terror, those Canadian players, those rug Delver players, they were trying like Snapcaster Mage in their deck and doing well and all these other cards. It was because Delver was really good. And and you know, that's Kind of the dominance has always been there. Delver's always been great in Legacy. This is where just... I pretend to remember what a Canadian Thresh looked like when it had Rare Bear in it. So, um, 
You may have to <laughs> like I, I looked at the list, but it's literally been like four years or three years. Uh, so I've looked at a like Canadian thrush list with Werewear in it. Um, a bunch of they played um, multiple. Uh, they played multiple thrush creatures. Um. It was it was it was oh man, they were struggle bus. Uh, like it was it was struggle bus. Like. Uh, it was. Oh, I'll find something and send it to you. But yeah, it was. It was for the for the homies. Yeah. Like, oh man, I I like I like you know you know when you look at something you remember the emotional response you had to it where you're just like oh okay, but you don't remember the exact specifics of what happened. That's how I feel about this. It's like, well, I remember looking at lists with their bear and going oh oh, like. How do I put it? You know that commercial where it's like Sarah McLaughlin and it's like save the animals or whatever, or like the feed the kids thing where it's like a bunch of starving African children and they play the sad music. That's what looking at an old werebear list looks like. Or it's like, well, you just like hear that in the arms of an angel. <laughs> like you just hear that in the background. And you're just like, y'all didn't know. Y'all didn't know you're gonna have turn three wins where you just like play a two mana life from a loam every turn. It's just like, oh my god. Well, exactly. I mean, well they so they played um they cut Werebear before Dover came out. But that was because like Zoo came back. Or not really came back. Zoo started doing well and there was like a countertop progenitus Tarmogoyf deck and I know there's like no rug, but I thought also next level blue was kind of a deck, the like counterbalance term you just said that countertop Yeah. Yeah. Counterbalance yeah, Tarmogoyf Tarmogoyf progenitus. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what Patrick yeah, they, called it. Yes. It was next level blue, but they like there was all kinds of different like there was different versions of that deck. Like they, at one point they just realized that they didn't that they were the best they didn't need natural order and that's when they went to just tarmogorge oh man i so, remember no rug dude those were the days in legacy where like so fun fact when i was getting into legacy i like like my journey into legacy was like watch star city coverage hook up with the guys in the dayton magic club go hey i want to go to this legacy tournament anybody have a deck for me and they were like yeah, I can give you Shardless Bug. Mind you, I knew this guy for like three hours. It was Fred Shred, uh, for so you know, Steve. Um, yeah. It was just like, I'll give you the Shardless Bug 75 guy. I don't know. And this is like, you know, I'm a college student. It's like 3K deck. I'm just like, yo, you don't know me. I could just not show up again. What? Um, I didn't go into that tournament because there was like a blizzard or something. It was, you know, it's mad wild. Um, but, you know, it's like, eventually I got into Miracles and other stuff. But I remember when Rug, like, no Rug was a deck. And it was just, like, Reed Duke playing it. And this deck was literally just, like, four Noble Hire, four Bird of Paradise, <laughs> Natural Order Tarmogoyf. And that was your deck. It was just, like, barely enough blue cards to support Force of Will. Um, <laughs> that deck was a, a meme. And those were the old days of Legacy, where it's just like a bunch of weird underpowered cards paired with a bunch of like overpowered cards, and it was kind of nice. Like I kind of miss Legacy, where all of your edges to be gained were based on your play, as opposed to just like my opponent played a thing and killed me. But 
that's just kind of where magic is heading. So we have to live with that and just like, you know. It might be, I'm not having issues finding that the old deck list, but like they were talking like original because like they came from a term. What was it called? The grow, the miracle grow decks. Oh like, my god, miracle grow! I remember. Well, I remember the first Quarian time Dryad. I looked at that card, and so it was like, dude, Quarian Dryad is so good. You just like play spells. I'm just like, what? Like I just couldn't understand why this card was good, and I still don't get it. But like, oh, it was like, great like back it, in the day. I don't get it. It's just like one of those things of like, you know lower power level format so a card like Quarian Dryad which is like objectively pretty bad looks a lot better actually whenever you cast yeah yeah it's not they've, they've made a better version with Mana Gorge Dryad. yeah mm. whenever you cast the non-green spell mm. is Quarian Dryad the tech though Steven Oh no, it wouldn't be played now. Now that Mana Gorge or Hydra <laughs> exists. It's not a card you can <laughs> play just... when like everybody has like two spell snares in their deck lists. <laughs> right. Well, you just play Mana Gorge or Hydra. I mean, like for real, like the card is just it's the first time I saw it, I've like lost my mind. I was like, why did they print a better Rare Android? And I mean, yeah. it's even better. It's got a better better creature. <laughs> so uh you know, it's one of those things. The car, Mana Gorger Hedge is cool. I mean, it's three mana, but it's got Trample. So, like, I think that's more relevant. Yeah, true. Than, I guess if you're playing Vintage, play Mana Gorger Hydra. If you're playing Legacy, you just play Submerge and Submerge your opponents. Yeah. Not quite, and go from there. I mean, Mana Gorger Hedge is a real cool card, but it's I don't think it's playable in today's... You know, it's not uh, Miracle Grow the archetype. You know, turned into Canadian Thresh, and people were playing Wear Bears then, and then they cut them. I think they eventually cut them and just went with Tarmogoyf's, uh Nimble Mongoose and Grim Lava Man. Um, but that was also Tarmogoyf coming into the format, and then Delver hit. And, you know, the rest is Delver's been crushing since then. Delver is like one of the longest lasting mm-hmm. archetypes in Legacy for me. Yeah, Delver being this good is like Delver is supposed to be is good, right? It's just like on every metric, it's just like efficiency meets power. But like Delver being this good, it's the. I guess you could make an art. So I was gonna say, you know, when Delver is this good and like the best deck in your format, that's indicative of something wrong in your format. But I guess like any deck being the best deck in Legacy, uh, you can make an argument for there being some flaw in the format, just something being wrong. Um, so maybe that's just not an argument to hinge on. Like, I still think Storm being the best deck is, like, pretty indicative that there's a heavy skew towards, like, mid-range battles, as opposed to having balanced deck shells, uh, which I guess is reasonable. Like, Legacy is a format is usually overwhelmingly fair in terms of paper and online play. Like, you'll play Storm, but it's, like, one of eight Storm guys who just crush regardless. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's one of those things. Like, you look at, like, you look at the format right now. I don't mind Delver being the best deck. I just don't want... Like, it's not, I don't think it's gate, 
gatekeeping the combo decks out. I think people's, you know, not having their um, ability to play at a high enough level is keeping those out. Where if, like, I think if everyone could play it, you know, the format well, I don't think that Dover would necessarily be the best deck. And that would invite a control deck back into the format. But as it stands, with con- with not enough combo, there's no reason to play control. Yeah, like, like a, in terms of core, like, I think Strife Pile is really good, and I I don't know what I'm doing this weekend. Like I said, this week has been very uh, busy for me, so I may just play less Magic. Um, but I kind of want to try a league with Strife's list. Um, he top eight of the Legacy Challenge in eighth place, I believe, which was nice, because, like, he, he got paired against... Um, JJKBB or I can never remember how many J's and K's and BB's and what have you are in his screen name. But um, he scooped him into the top eight because Jack wasn't qualified for the playoff. So that was a nice move. But like Strifle's list just like keeps getting good cards to play. And it it feels like perfectly at the crux of being good against fair and unfair with the only issue being your mana base. And he's only playing two red and six, which I get, I totally understand it. It feels wrong at face value. Uh, but it, I get that you have like a lot of things that you're doing with your mana. So you can't necessarily afford to play red and six and it being red green is somewhat awkward, but um, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if the third one was correct. But this is with like no actual testing of the deck. But uh, I, he only I, has tw- he, he only has twenty blue cards, so he probably doesn't have the same amount of room to like fit it because he has to cut probably a blue card for it. True, true. That, and he's only got twenty. Like I, th- I just did a rough count. It was twenty. He, he usually hovers around twenty. I think he sometimes has less. Oko gives him another one. So. <laughs> Oko's fifth mode <laughs> blue card yeah dude pitching Oko to force definitely real I like his list it was something I, it was like what I was playing um, I was only playing two P-Fire he's only playing two um, he's playing trophies over decays because I guess he's worried about Death. big things no, it's depths. He plays trophy specifically because um, it takes his depths matchup from medium to like good because he doesn't play wasteland. Okay, that makes more sense. Like I'm, I'm looking at the tyrant scoring and going, well, but you're right. It does. It gives him four answers to like blaze. Everything else is like I don't know. Jace the mind sculptor. I honestly, could take or leave. <laughs> It's really bad. I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a Jace player. Yeah, Jace is looking a little. Jace is looking a little thin right now. Jace is. Yeah. Looking a little anemic, my guy. Might want to hit the gym. I'm, just. Jace I mean, it's what happens, right? Joe Button, pump it up, my guy. You know, just. Ugh. But it's what happens, right? Like every magic card eventually, like gets phased out because of power level reasons and like even in my miracles deck i draw jace and i'm like oh man i wish this would have been like anything but jace <laughs> can we have a <laughs> moment so of silence 
Jays. Like, yeah. You know how many, like, I bought French Jaces for a reason. Just, well, personal reasons for college student. French Jaces were cheaper, but just. <sighs> Moment of silence for Jace Landmine Sculptor. Jace Lis- Lis- Sculptor de Spirit, or whatever it is in French. Just, uh. I'm pressing F. <laughs> Smash that F button. I just don't think he, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have not, not, even in Miracles, I'm not thrilled when I draw Jace, and that's so sad. Like, if I could can, if I could give Jace a, you know, ability, like, when me and my opponent are top decking, I will draw you next. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't Mystic Sanctuary for Jace, which is, like, the biggest downside. <laughs> yes. Right, we, we yes. haven't gotten to the point where we can actively just play Thought Scour and Miracles. Which, like, oh, if they ever give you a land that can buy back a Planeswalker, ugh. Mm. Oh, we'll hate hate it. Mm. We might be happy. We might be happy about it at a time, but about two months after that, we see talking about how Wizards is insane and stupid. (laughs) It'll be that Chappelle skit, the haters have arrived. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, like my miracles deck has been fun because I can Mystic Sanctuary for with um, Savine's Reclamation and just do all kinds of nonsense. And Jace just Jace is he's really fat, man. He's four mana. That's a lot. <laughs> I never feel like I have four mana laying around in Legacy. A lot of Miracles so, game plan right now can includes just like machine gunning your opponent with Entreat the Angels a bunch. Until they stop breathing, it's really funny. He, like everybody's just playing it like one in trade list. They're just like, in trade for whatever. Oh, got four, so cool. Uh, do it again next turn. Uh, do it again the turn after. It's just like, oh, you you were ahead for the whole game, and now you're dead because in trade angels. I've been playing Decree of Justice, so I've been enjoying Decree of Justice. It's fine. I will enjoy it. Um. I make soldiers on the first plaster and draw a card and they have to stifle it. And that's it. And then on the second pass through, I can make some angels, but the soldiers acted like a move. So I've been happy with them. Yeah. We were, and we were talking about decree of justice before, but um, I think uh, we should probably quickly discuss it here. The fact that it is castable, um, around counter magic for the most part right? like if someone isn't actively holding up stifle having a pseudo entreat the angels effect is really appealing right right and i can also just cycle it for three mana in case i'm playing against combo or something that i don't particularly want that effect you know like that's that's been real for me um and i can always buy it back with mystic sanctuary if i want to go for real mode plus um I play two uh, uninteractive Teferi, Teferi Time Revelers mm-hmm. in my deck. So being able to hold my mana open and just cast it for the sorcery mode and make angels on my opponent's end step without having to like do some kind of nonsense where I draw the top card of my library and it's on treat and it happens. And, you know, I, I fought, used resources to set that up and I just cast it. Like a lot of times I, you know, it's the same amount of angels because I didn't have to do any kind of setup. You know, we don't have top anymore. So no. I've actually enjoyed the, my one decree of justice over 
country. That makes sense so, to me. I I mean, just having the cycle ability is relevant, and Mystic Sanctuary buying it back makes it pretty free to play. So I'm about it. I'm definitely interested in trying it. Uh, Entreat is like a maybe objectively more powerful in certain spots, but uh, I could see Decree of Justice being a better, you know, card to play as like a more consistent power level, because you know what you're getting. Yep. And it comes down to it, it's a better for CMC spell than Jace currently, because I can buy it back daggers to Jace. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Jace. I'm, I'm probably going to probably gonna pay for this someday <laughs> when i can't find them in my deck but <laughs> i just i just man i'm telling you what like i am not i think jace is not aged well in the legacy metagame but strife's deck you know beyond the jace part i do enjoy everything else it was it's doing it was it's basically doing everything that i was doing with my list except for he has like one snare he has the Dak Fadens because Strifo will die with Dak Faden in his hand. I respect it. If he is isn't buried oh, it's, with Dak Faden a red glove a boombox playing nothing but like meme music, <laughs> then like people obviously didn't honor his legacy. I do like Drown the Lock a lot. I do like that card an unhealthy amount. Um I like it a lot in Legacy. I think it's like pretty free to play for the most part. I like it. I like. I don't know how I feel about the one spell snare, but he's he he's played that deck more than any person. So, <laughs> I I definitely agree. Um, Edgar Magiesh has done a lot of just like picking up Strifle's deck list and cutting a lot of the like weird one ofs that he'll sometimes play, um, and just like top eating GPs with those lists. And this is like the most normal strike list I've ever seen by industry standards per se. And I really like it. Um like normally I look at his deck list and I'm just like, oh I would cut maybe X, Y, and Z for A, B, and C, but right now I'm just kind of looking at it like, yeah, these are cards I would play. Well, I can't, like, make the cuts that I want to make. Like, I want to cut the Spell Snare for a K-Command, but you're blue count. So you can't cut a blue card. So, <laughs> like, I can't argue. I, I don't understand. The P-Fires are, like, what I want to cut because I don't think they're good in Legacy right now. But that's it. Like, I would not play P-Fire. P-Fire is definitely a weird because... card. Um, I, I I agree. I, I think what you're getting at is, like, the fact that two toughness creatures are basically Delver Secrets and then nothing else right now. Yeah. So it's yep. very... <clears throat> it's very hard to, like, look at P-Fire and go, hey, this is great, but it pairs well with the DAC engine, and then, like, when you get paired against people who, for some reason, like, are playing Control, then... Uh, you just like clap them and just beat their cheeks. I think that's why he likes it. Because <laughs> like, every time I watch him stream, when he gets to discard with uh, the P fire with Mac and then draw it back, he's just 
he just has a great time. And I'm jealous because I want to have that great time. So You can, though. You can live that life. I could. But, yeah, I'll definitely look into maybe resurrecting my deck. My four-color control deck after uh, I get tired of losing with miracles because it doesn't it's not very proactive <laughs> but i actually think miracles is fine like um like i said the whole like machine gun um entreat the angels plan is pretty real to me and i think that uh it, like you know top gave miracles a sense of ine- inevitability where you could just kind of bob and weave through the game and then you had entreat to just go over the top of whatever you're playing you don't don't have that same sense of like navigation per se but you still do have like the entreat mirror like machine gun which gives you everything that you kind of wanted in that regard i do want to um like i said i want to explore modern i actually um really like sam black's insane never win deck i didn't like the field of deaths but i loved everything else about it so I've been busy and I haven't actually finished like week one of my modern training journal thing. But Sandblast deck is very similar to the Grixis control deck. And the decks are like at base value dependent on the cards that are in their graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. But the issue on top of that is like you're adding cards like, um, into the story and drown in the lock, which should depend on your opponent having a graveyard. And there's a lot of situations where your opponent just doesn't. Like, if you don't have the Thought Scour to Thought Scour them, those cards don't really do anything. So, like, your your into the story isn't a four-mana draw four. It's a six-mana draw four on turn 12. And it's, like, a really awkward position. Um, I'll go more into depth on in the article when I finish it. But uh, I I like the deck and don't like the deck, and I think using your graveyard as a resource is great, but there's a point where it feels like you're kind of overemphasizing it and leading yourself into a position of uh, ultimate weakness. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, um, it, like, he died to a rest in peace in one of his matchups. I think it was against um, Autumn Birch. Yeah. And so that showed a real deep issue with his deck. But I think he could tune it to change that. I think, like, I don't know if the draw four is worth it, especially with playing, th- I think, three copies. I felt like three copies was a lot. Um, and he also had, there were some other numbers he had that were kind of weird to me. The mo- the, I think the Oakwas were in the sideboard. And I felt like that was kind of weird because I felt like it was the perfect card for the main deck. Uh, it seems like a perfect card for the main deck, but you don't necessarily need it because your like main deck engine isn't going to be impeded by Grave Hate in most matchups, right? Yeah, that's fair. So, so like, you know, you just like pack your Okos in the sideboard or whatever. Which like that was a lot of decks this weekend. Just a lot of just like, hey, I have sideboard Oko. What's good? <laughs> It was yeah. it was always good. I mean, well the the Urza decks are playing in their main deck, right? Uh I think they were sideboarding it. Okay. The like paradoxical Urza decks that yeah, they had sideboard Oko. I meant the uh, Urza decks were just like all in on a combo. 
I meant the regular, not the Paradaxal ones, the regular like oh. Harlan's deck. Um, but I, I don't think he did, but I could be wrong. I um, I just felt like he could like, I felt like Sam could cut in into the story. I felt like only. I didn't see the point in three of them. Plus, he has like two Pulse of Marasa, Deprive, and Mystic Sanctuaries. So, like, you want to draw, he's like really drawing all the cards. And this was a deck list that I've never seen. Like, it only had one Astro, Arkham's Astrolabe <laughs> with the one of mana base because it was, it was fielding Field of Dead. So, it had like all these one ofs to, to facilitate that, including one. One basic island, two snow-covered islands. And I felt like that could, I mean, that could have been clean. Sam, Sam Black was definitely out here doing the Galaxy Ray, and I respect that. Um, <laughs> hey, two... No, I do. Like, two poles from Rasa. Respect. <laughs> I mean... I, I had mad respect. Somewhere Strifo just a nut. Um, hey, I love that card. I'm not going to lie. a second. Yo, did he not pull some Ross in his deck? Whoa! That's why you like the deck list. I was disappointed. <laughs> when did he cut Pulsum Rasa? A while ago, but it's still fine. <laughs> Yo, that's wild. Yeah, I, I don't know how to emotionally feel about that. Um, <clears throat> Chase, what are you doing? <laughs> You're supposed to be our paragon of Pulsum Rasa. Like, if you aren't out here living that best value life, who, like, what? Come on, man. It's in my four-color. It's in my four-color sideboard. So, I mean, I, I don't know why. I can't beat Burn without that card. So. Oh, I don't think you play four-color control to beat Burn. Like, you just see Goblin Guide, and you just right-click and see the match, and you just move on with your life. It's like, yeah. Yep. That's a thing that happened to me. I'm going to save time. I'm not winning. So, you know, I'm just not going to deal with it. I just think uh, Sam's list was weird in the numbers, but I would play this deck. I want to play. I want to, I want to build this deck and test it and tune it and not have some weird numbers like one Astrolabe just because I don't get it. I don't think the Field of the Dead was worth it either. It never did anything. It was super fair. Like it made one zombie at a turn, sometimes two zombies. <laughs> it's just like, that is super fair. <laughs> as far as I modern. Was told, I was told that I should learn how to play Amulet. And I was like, I am not smart enough to learn that deck. And the response was, the reason Amulet was hard was because you had to come up with contingency plans for when your Titan died. But now you just get fielders dead and make a bunch of zombies and they die. So you don't have to be smart. You just got to be able to make zombies. Well, see, yeah, that that their field of dead make four zombies at a time. That's and 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 have a six six. So it's a little bit different. Like <laughs> like I think that uh, that's that's fine. That's a very good sideways plan for that deck. Where this deck, I think, could clean its mana base up and. Like, I mean, the, the the highest number of lands in this deck that are not fetch lands is Mystic Sanctuary. Like, the come-into-play tapped land. So, 
I would definitely clean it up. And you get to play a uh, really big Snapcaster Mage. So <laughs> you, get to, you get to play Tyrantial Gearhulk. And I know that's what the Pulse Marasa was for. So he could cast Torrential Gearhulk again. He said, he mentioned, he, so Sam Black played a localish tournament with um, the deck and he got two draws. <laughs> so he was like, I need to win. So that's where the, the Gearhulk in the Field of the Dead entered into play. He was just like, hey, I need to be able to kill people within time. So let me add a six drop and a land that's basically a six drop. <clears throat> and like I said, I'm here for it. I'm living for it. Um, yes, queen. I'll have to check it, your a Grixis version of this deck out, because I probably would like Grixis more. If I'm not going to play my Okos in the main, i just play Grixis. Uh, like I said, I'm going to write about the Grixis version of the deck. Um, like, I'm a big fan of Grixis Control, but there is... There's just something that always feels missing these days. And the current list, like, there's a lot of cards that were printed that are very good, but depending on your opponent's graveyard. But there is something to be said about, like, having to counterspell a Relic of Progenitus, because if your opponent needs their own graveyard, then it counters their spells. It's like, there's there's definitely something going on there. I definitely think about it, yeah. Uh, is there anything else from this modern that you cared about besides Mr. Drake with his storm deck crushing it? Kind of watched the open, was kind of watching other stuff for playing legacy tournaments on Moto, so I didn't really delve too deep into things. Uh, I saw a lot of Amulet, a lot of Urza. I saw Kyle, Kyle Boganez with his called shot playing uh, Azorius Stoneblade to a 12th place finish. Man, a man knows how to cast stone Fortune Mystic. Did he call that shot? That's gas. I think in his article he called, like he said it was great to play it. He has in his uh he's got an article series, so yeah. Like and he played Spellquellers and Snapcasters and Stoneforge Mystics and some Teferi Time Ravelers and that was it. Everything else is basically it's it looks like a blue white control deck. With some Stoneforge Mystic. Sometimes I wish I didn't hate casting the card so. Stoneforge Mystic. Like everybody, like I look at other people play Stoneforge Mystic and they look like they're having so much fun. And I'm playing it, I'm just like, why? It's a it's a squat. What? Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> have you ever cast Terminus? Like, like which feels worse? Tell me, Steve. <laughs> An opening hand with Terminus. Or just any hand with Stoneforge Mystic. <laughs> the fact that it's close. The fact that it's close, right? It's just like, there are so many games where you're just like, I have Stoneforge Mystic. But... Well, in half those decks, even like uh, Mr. Bogganus' deck here, he's got he's got Mana Leaks and Spell Snares. And, and then you have Stoneforge Mystic. So like, and he's got a Spell Queller. So like... <laughs> There's like multiple like zones where you're like, I can't cast my Stoneforge Mystic. I guess I'll pass the I'll pass the turn. I'll pass the turn. I will now cast my turn six squire. <laughs> I love how modern has gotten to the point where mana leak is like the go-to counterspell. 
again. Like modern went from like well, um, Remandez as well, but yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, Remandez is really good if you can kill your opponent the next turn. A lot, a lot of people are playing it because it, they need another turn. So, like, I get what you're saying, but a lot, like, a lot of people are playing it. So, Remand has come back like I've never seen it. I'm baffled by it. But, uh, I don't, I don't even know anymore, dude. I'm supposed to be relearning modern for reasons, and I just don't even know anymore. I don't even, I just don't. Oh, you're right. Harlan had his Okos on a sideboard. He had Okos and Tezzer at H and Abolus. Most of them replaced the Agents of Bolus with Oko. And he was like, no, nah, I want to be Planeswalker Stompy postboard. Like it. Yeah, you just like. Just turn into Planeswalker Control, I guess, with random artifacts. It's, Oh, I hate Planeswalker as a card type so much. So, and you want to play modern, right? <laughs> want to play modern? I don't know about that. And practicing modern because it's relevant for upcoming events? I, I do know about that. I mean, we've got Urza's everywhere, and that, that, that man's the OG Planeswalker. He doesn't even have the Planeswalker type on him, but he's basically a Planeswalker. He's got, I mean, we out here, Urza, gang, gang, my guy. Like, Ugh. Uh, did we have, um, what was the next thing that we want to talk about? Uh, let's go to our handy dandy list of topics. We're just mad unprofessional in this episode. Heck like, yeah. It's Thursday night. We're tired. <laughs> oh, the Matt Sperling early uh, last tweet. Oh, my God. I didn't even put a link to it. I forgot to add the link to Twitter questions. Ooh, this is. Ooh. The Twitter questions. You, you, I couldn't find what you were talking about with the other things. So <clears throat> the Discord questions. No, 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 no. Are... No, the uh, the 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 tweet. The Arlie, uh, the Arlie Lacks. I was looking for it and couldn't. Find okay, so Arlie Lacks basically tweeted out, "Hey, if you're taking a draw with a deck like Manos Ridge, you're getting up a lot of equity or something because people know where you're at or something." It's just like, okay, whatever. Like, you're playing Manos Ridge. What else are you supposed to do? But Matt Sperling was like, "If you're playing a deck that isn't Manos Ridge, what if you're giving out equity by not just randomly taking the draw against people, so they think that you're on Manos Ridge, right? Like." there's going to be a subset of players who are in the know and you just like, go, oh, I'll take the draw. And they're going to be like, multi hand that's good against Manos Strand. And you're just like, turn one down for secrets. Daze you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to be like, what are you doing? And you're going to be like, I don't know. I'm. It's called leveling. It's called culture. It's sophistication. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> What you know about that bum? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! There's just like so. One of the things about like legacy culture is that players tend to like go way too deep on just like 
clout in a way slash just like trying to level each other like people trying to come up with like newer tech and hotter tech and this that, and the other right and there's just like something to be said about making fun of that and you know you'll like go like hey this deck seems kind of not good it's like oh well you don't understand 12 dimensional geometry and why this doomsday pile or this one of doomsday in my nick fit deck is really good and how that correlates with you know oh decalcifying your pineal gland and opening your third eye and then you'll start winning gps <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> or <laughs> or or let me let me let me throw this idea out there turn one fetch lane tropical island delver secrets <laughs> turn two flip it attack <laughs> and there's just something to be I don't know. It's just fun making fun of that stuff. Um, what were we talking about again? Matt Sperling's tweet about like maybe taking the draw randomly against stuff. Yes, could could be a thing. I don't think it'll ever be a thing. Like it, it's it's one of those risk reward things where like if you play against an opponent who's on the level of knowing that like you taking the draw in the dark air quotes is you on mana stretch it's fairly likely with like the way information travels in legacy for you to for them to know that you aren't on mana stretch right or it to be like late enough in the tournament for them to know where you're on so you're probably just gonna like not actually go to get that equity yes and then like if you're on moto like it's a toss-up you can't like look at your opponent and go like you know so when you're in a paper tournament you can like look at your opponent and clock them based on like hey, this person seems more skilled this piece. Or not skilled, but, like, more experienced, right? But you can, like, kind of get a idea of how long in the tooth someone is, per se. But on motor, you can't. So it's just, like, a complete coin toss a lot of the times. So, I don't know. It's, it's like, one of those ideas that's really cool and interesting, but I think the opportunities to capitalize on it are going to be so far in between, you know? Like, it would take setup. Like, it would take conversation before the tournament. Doing the whole, like, oh, man, Manless Dredge is a really cool deck and stuff, you know. And then just, like, taking the draw against your opponent to do that. And it's just like, ugh. Well, half the time... that's gonna... Half the time in a Legacy tournament, the conversation does come up where someone's, like... Um, insert generic Manless Dredge... I take the draw joke. Yes. We've like, all heard it. It happens like every round for the first like three rounds of a legacy tournament. By the third round, you're just like, please stop. Right. Stop. Like, I know you're on goblins. <laughs> like, like, stop. Fix it. Don't like chill. My guy. <laughs> it's just like, no, like, this isn't funny. I just want to, I just want to kill your goblin lackey on turn one. Fun fact, while playing Miracles, I've played against Goblins and Merfolk exactly twice in competitive REL events. This was when Top was legal. Uh, both of these matchups are not good matchups. Uh, in all four of these matchups, my Merfolk opponents boarded in Back to Basics, and my Goblins opponents boarded in Blood Moon. And I'm not sure why, but I gladly took those wins uh, and moved on with my life. Dude. 
Like, look, you are the luckiest person I've ever met. So I am not lucky. I'm not like at paper parents. I'm just like really good at like getting paired against opponents that I can like Jedi mind trick into weird stuff, or like things happen that don't make sense. Like, um, uh, there was an SCG classic I top aided where like my opponent go. I'm playing against blue black reanimator. My opponent goes re reanimate my Grizzlebrand. And I go, surgical extraction, your Grizzlebrand. And they go, misdirection pitch a card, redirect surgical extraction from my Grizzlebrand to my Iona. And I'm just like, wait, what? <clears throat> and I'm just like, yeah, it happens. And I just like snapcast or surgical their Grizzlebrand. I'm just like, okay, I don't know what happened there, but... um. Thanks. We take those. No. <laughs> we take we No, take you got to Snapcaster Terminus against a DNT player yo, yo, with, yo, yo. with three ports in play, and he decided okay. not to do it. Please, you are missed. First of all, that guy is really cool, and he loaned me power. Like, when Top got banned, he messaged, just messaged me out of the blue. He was like, hey, man, it sucks that your deck got banned. Our match was really cool. Um, if you ever need power... Or, like, legacy cards or whatever, I got you. So for, there was an Eternal Weekend where I got power for myself, Jody Keith, and Ved uh, from this guy. It was sick. Um, so put things in perspective in this game. We had, like, a 30-minute game one because, like, it was just Death and Taxes versus Miracles. It kept grinding. He had Caracas plus both Thalias. It was just never-ending misery. So, like, the game consisted of me going, like, Snapcastering like I cast seven sorts of plowshares and like six terminus that game. There was a lot of like snapcaster terminus going on. There was a lot of like shortcutting for time. And like at a certain point when I had like eight lands in play, he stopped using Christian port, which makes sense. Like you're trying not to like have a draw happen. So you're just like, yeah, do your thing. And I'm just like sick, snapcaster terminus. Right. Um, Against a board stay with lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it wasn't lots of things, Steve. It was literally just like two thalias every time. It was just like two thalias. True, it was but... miserable. Or it was like Snapcaster terminusing one thalia. Like that was it. It was so miserable. Yeah, but... And then like game two ended in like five minutes because like Monastery Mentor is a reasonable card or something. But like it oh, was man. just like ridiculous. I like, still remember I just remember walking up and I'm like, he had two thalias in play. You, so it was nine mana. I apologize. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're dead. And then, like, you went to your upkeep, and he was just like, yeah. And there was, like, three ports. And you were like, all right, he's getting with the draw step. And you drew, and he was like, yeah. And then you went to main phase, and I was just like, huh. Huh. That was just, like, one of those matches where, like... I definitely missed some of the context with the time, because I had finished my match. So, okay. That exact. It was one of those. You have you ever been playing a match and you're like, I don't think I can win this game. I should concede. And then you look at the clock and realize you're 35 minutes in and it's game one and you're just like, I can't concede. Yes. It was one of those matches. That was that was what happened. Uh, man, whenever I so, play against DNT players, they pour me no matter what, man. Like they pour me like it's a religion. <laughs> Like they they could be they could be dying to my entree. Like I'm like attack with my angels, port you. Like, but I'm gonna attack you, port you, uh, attack my mana, port your other land. Okay, I'm attacked. Now I'm dead, but I ported you first. Like I got that ported. 
So yeah, he like he religiously ported up until the point where he had like Snapcaster Terminus Man, and it was just like, all right, well, you know, thug it out, homie. Do what you gotta do. <clears throat> that internal weekend was like wild and mad aggravating because like I started off five zero, and then I lost two matches just to myself being a complete donk, and then I like won out. And, like, I have matches where, like, my opponents just decided not to win. Like, I played against lands, and I didn't have a white source in play for three turns, and they just didn't make a Merilage. And then when I finally play a white uh, Flooded Strand, they, like, make the Merilage. It's like, oh, wow, I have the Plow. Who could have suspected that? And it's just like, um... Yeah, it was, like... It was one of those games where, like, I never should have won, but I did. And then I played against, like, Grixis Dover the last round. And, like, game two, my opponent, like, for- blind Cabal Therapy's uh, Force of Will. I'm like, yo, most people cut Force of Will in this matchup. I, at the time, I was using Sam Rikus' sideboard plan where you keep in, like, two Force of Wills. And your game plan was basically just, like, answer threat, answer threat, answer threat, cast and treat the angels with Force of Will backup, and your opponent just dies. And... He for he cabal therapies force a will, and my hand. <laughs> this is one of the worst hands I've ever kept. It was since he's abiding top brainstorm, like one land, <clears throat> force of will, uh, maybe a ponder or something. Terminus and treat. Like it was just the worst hand ever, right? Yeah, but we, let's like, let's focus. No, no, for, for all the listeners, Sensei's divining top was legal. Like cabal therapy was cast. And Sensei's Divining Top was not the named card. So yeah. that's that's why and, Top had to be banned. Because Top was too powerful. And then, like, you know, they named the Force one just like, okay, I mean, if if that's how you want to live, like, what's Bracken? I'm like, my turn. And they pause. And I'm like, is this guy about to just, like, surgical my Force Wills? Like, on God, are you... Are you dead ass right now, B? <laughs> and then he surgicals my forcibles, and I'm just like, yo. What? So like so I keep a hand, that's terrible, right? Because brainstorming top. My opponent takes the the card I don't want to cast out of my hand and then surgicals it out of my deck. So I'm like, I don't want to cast this card anyway, and they took it out of my deck. And then, and then like you know, a couple turns later, there's a point where I have to cast this brainstorm. Like, I've been sandbagging. Like, my opponent's been representing Red Blast, and I'm just like, I, I hit the point where I just can't not cast it. I'm just like, my opponent's gonna Red Blast, I'm gonna die. I cast Brainstorm with my opponent knowing my hand is Entreat the Angel's Terminus. And they let it resolve, and I'm just like, yo, what? Like, I proceed to body them from there, and I ask, like, why didn't you Red Blast my I was like, did you have Red Blast when I cast Brainstorm? They're like, yeah. I was like, why didn't you just Red Blast my my thing? And he, like, says something about, like, not caring about the Brainstorm. And was just like, I'll just answer everything else. I'm just like, like, I was just like, whatever. I, like, walked away and, like, side, turned to my match slip in top 16. And was just like, my hand was garbage. Like, people don't counter Brainstorm enough. Like, I posted a screenshot on Twitter where I was like, you people don't counter or force a will brainstorm enough. That was the caption, right? And uh, it was a match against like four color snow or something where my opponent had been stumbling for a while and they cast brainstorm and just force a will it. Because I was like, their hand is like obviously three and four drops and I like wasteland them once and they don't have removal from my Delver or whatever was in play. 
uh, and they conceded. So that's that's like your one lesson of the day. Like brainstorm, contextually forcible that card or counter it. Like you know, I counter every cantrip I can when I when I when I have the ability to. Like when I played against Storm a couple weeks ago with uh, Rugged Over, and he died because I countered his first two cantrips. And he was like, you were so aggressive with that. And I was just like, I said, usually when you guys get to sculpt, you guys beat, beat us because you have the ability to, you know, galaxy brain your way out of any kind of removal or uh, permission I have. Cause that's all rugged over has is permission. So I was just like, instead I was like, I'm going to just counter every cantrip. I thought you, you, you know, you're still taking resources from them. So I firmly believe in red blasting, spell piercing, whatever. Kill that brainstorm. The spell piercers are going to die anyways. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely get behind that. Um, there's a lot of games where people don't counter my cantrip early, and I just kind of get to hit what I need. Whereas, um. <clears throat> There are like games where my opponent will just like spell pierce my ponder on turn two. I'm just like, oh no. Guess I get to die. <laughs> um we do have some questions from our uh from Twitter. And I did go ahead and put the link to the tweet so we wouldn't have to stumble through it. It was close. <laughs> it was real close. Uh, I think some people probably responded to my retweet as well, so I should probably dig that up. Ooh, um, definitely. Um, uh, I'll start it off while, while you're now, looking. Right? Sounds good. Uh, Chase, Chase Hansen. <laughs> uh, the man, the myth, the big dick legend. Yes, he says, uh, what's wrong with my Pulse Morasses? I just want to set him on the side for a sec. No, he actually says, how can you tell if a sideboard plan is good? <laughs> Individual sample sizes are so small that data isn't super meaningful. So it's all about feel, which is dangerous. Example, I'm bringing in Surgical against Rug Delver and has repeatedly been amazing, but is that just noise? <laughs> that's, that's an amazing question. Uh, I wish it would have been about <laughs> Pulse Marasa. Because <laughs> it was close. It's about sideboards. <laughs> um, how can you tell if a sideboard plan is good? I actually um, think this is one of the most thought-provoking questions that Chase could ask. Because I feel like um, through the history of Legacy, things like evolve. But sometimes the evolution doesn't catch up with like what common knowledge becomes. Like force of wills or common knowledge. Okay, you're in a fair matchups, side of mouth. Well, that's not been true for like four years, I think. Maybe three years. There's there's been a lot of like success and legacy often isn't like player skill is good, but there's often a level of being ahead of the metagame in terms of having a sideboard plan that like is better than field, right? Like 
uh, Philip Schoenegger cutting both basic planes in the Miracle's Mirror because he realized that post-war the deck turned into like blue-red control as opposed to blue-white control, and you didn't need more than your three Tundras as white sources, right? Um, it, it's stuff like that, right? So when I look at a sideboard plan in Legacy, I think about... So one, I often have sideboard plans on a range. Like how I board against like a newer... Like if I play against opponent and they're playing, I'm playing the Dovermere, and I think that my opponent is less experienced, I may keep in more copies of Force of Will, because they're like maybe more likely to jam things or play into the card. Whereas more experienced players, I will cut all of my Force of Wills and just keep in Daze and like no Spell Pierce or whatever. And people are like more, like more likely to play around these certain quantities that they expect. So that is kind of how I look at it. So in terms of, like, how is your sideboard plan against these decks, it's a matter of, you know, what range are you targeting and how, like, where do you peg your opponent on that range? Um, if you think your opponent is particularly good, you may want to have a different sideboard plan if you think they're, like, more of a novice player. Um but if you have a sideboard plan that you're just using in general and it's working against a range of players, like if you're if you're playing against like a newer player who doesn't play around as many things and just jams and you're still beating them, but you're also beating the guys who are more experienced and they're playing around certain things, uh, then that probably means that your sideboard plan is robust enough to answer, you know, this wide enough set. With regards to like surgical against Rug Delver, haven't had that happen to me. Uh, I. <laughs> in the well, so I've had it happen in the mirror, where I've had people like go like wasteland or trap surgical, and it's just like uh, I'm gonna jump off a bridge because this plan is kind of terrible. Um, right, it's like terrible, and then it sometimes works, but a lot of the times you just embarrass those people, and you know it's whatever. Uh, with Chase's deck, I think I get it. Like he's playing a longer deck. His opponent's random six is likely to resolve. He's more likely to not like overreact and kill his opponent's random six, given that like his deck has answers for it and uh, can kill it right before nims. Like he doesn't really care if his opponent hits his land drops. He's if he's also hitting his land drops, he's going to grind them into oblivion. So if they do have an ult, randomly surgicaling a thing or whatever, like surgicaling a thing and then letting them ult is potentially fine. I think he so, probably like that. So his mana base can survive or something. Something he can't deal with is probably what yeah. it is. Like I didn't even think about surgical and wasteland. Like, like, I, like I, I totally can get behind that. Um, like take out wasteland or tarmacoid and call it a day. Right. I think. I think in magic, there's a lot of pressure to like lock into social norms of just like, here's this thing I'm doing, and at face value, it seems really, really, really stupid. And if someone was like, yo, dog, I'm boarding in Surgical Extraction with my control deck against Rook Delver, I would go, hey, that doesn't sound good. But Chase, as a player, is someone I respect, and I think he has, like, the logical backing enough for it. So, it, like, I'm more willing to look into it. And I think that as a player, you have to kind of be willing to go, hey, um, fuck the haters. Right, just I'm this thing. I think it makes sense. Here's my logic for it. I'm going to do it, and that's kind of where a lot of innovation is birthed. I think where the 
the issue lies with that kind of thinking is when players don't know when to like pause and get rid of a, a certain card or like go like I tried this it's not good enough and move on that's where people like like getting too attached to a plan per se or a deck well he gets uh, the double value because he gets to bring it in also to protect his punishing fires because I think that is the match where punishing fire probably is okay against the current configurations so because he gets punishing fire is like good against like Oko and Renin six, but it's not good against the creatures, right? But I guess you have answers for Glyph. You have like trophy and fatal push. Drown, no, yeah. drown on the drown on the lock. He has drown on the locks and sure. And uh, so I think he, and he has plague engineers to answer true name. So like he really just has to like, you know, he just needs P fire to check everything else. So it might be kind of like that, right? Like he, he brings it in to, to protect his own punishing fires, but then he also can. Because he only has so many answers to Tarmogoyf. So he, you know, he couldn't get rid of Tarmogoyf forever. And that way his, his plague engineer can check the true names and call it a day. Yeah, it's definitely a situation where, like, it's a very unorthodox sideboard plan. And it's probably something I wouldn't have gravitated to uh, initially. Uh, but I could see the merit behind it. And I think um, there's something to trying things like that as long as you aren't you know, going too deep on them and, like, willing to know, like, hey, I tried this, I've learned my lesson from it, it's either good or bad and for whatever reasons. Like, most of these plans are good for some reason and bad for some reason, and you want to extract the value from them and move on to the next thing often. Oh, he also has a Tyrant Scorn. Yeah, he can kill Goyf all day. It might just yeah, be to protect. Yeah. It might just <laughs> be to protect his stuff. Also, yeah. I don't know. He could probably, like, Thoughtseize Take up, take the threat, and then like be able to force a, like surgical or force a will later to get his own thing through. Once he's got the mana to pay through the soft permission. Yeah, so, I imagine he's cutting force a will and just going all in on the Jundam out plan. Yeah, um, just because he has so many answers and so many diverse like he doesn't have like the threats per se, but he just has so many cards that have text that as long as you have your mana base under you and are attacking, like, constantly casting your spells, you're probably going to brute force your way through your opponent. So like you said earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just, like, firing off Surgical on the first wasteland that happens and uh, calling it a day. Yeah. I mean, his board is ridiculous. It's a Decay, a Blast, um, I'm sorry, a Hydroblast, two Pyroblast, a Leobold, uh, a Veil of Summer, a K Command, a Null Spell Bomb, a Pernicious Deed, a Toxic Deluge. These are all things that are in its sideboard. I didn't list all his cards. Just cards that you could argue to bring in against the Delver. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, when your sideboard has like is like fifty percent one ofs, you're probably like switching up your config and trying different things. So I can dig it. Um, um, as far as telling if a sideboard plan's good, I mean, Chase has had incredible results in the Legacy um, Moto metagame challenges right like he's won several of them top eight in a large amount of them so he could he could actually go results oriented <laughs> uh, i mean i think it goes back to what i said just like understanding that sideboard planes have a range of players that they work against and 
Yeah. Like you shouldn't lock yourself into a sideboard plan as just like I'm playing against this deck, so this is how I'm gonna board every single time. Like I said, again in the rug mirror, against some opponents, I'll keep enforceable. Against other opponents, I will cut them all out, depending on how I think they're going to play. Like some people are more willing to jam like their haymakers into counter magic. Like I've noticed that like um with mirrors like Rug Delver and Miracles, whatever. Players who are less comfortable in the mirror are more likely to just slam their effects into players that they feel are um, a bit more experienced because, you know, you know, you just play a numbers game, right? Like, I've definitely lost mirrors, Miracles mirrors, people just jamming threats every turn, going like Mentor, Mentor, Chase, Mentor. And it's like, eventually one of those cards is going to stick and you're going to win the game. But that isn't how every player is going to play that game matchup like some people are going to play the you know the sneaky leveling game and you know i gotta cast my predict and spin top and spin top spin top maintain priority fetch spin top snapcaster pyroblast your ponder like whatever game plan right so it's it's just a matter of clocking your opponent and it's fine having a general game plan. If you find your general game plan is good against a wide swath of players, that's great. If you find that it's only good against a smaller batch of players, that's also fine. But just be able to acknowledge that and go, this isn't necessarily wrong, but I also need a plan B against this certain subset of players. And that's totally just, like, acceptable. Right. Thomas. Yeah. I kind of feel like we kind of went into this with Tannen with like Stifle being a, a like a card with a super low floor uh, with the ceiling being you went on this Burgo, and then it's also better Aaron against like, players also... who are like, skilled. Um, well, he's, he basically Stifle says second this no question. Rug is more a of Dylan and Hovey. Skill set as a player. Uh, Stifle rug versus no bad card rug. Pros, cons, and differing like the differing gotcha card type cards. Then you want to play Stifle. And if you're more of a player who's used to playing like mid range battles and grinding someone into oblivion, then no bad cards rug um, is probably something that's going to be a bit bet better suited to you. I think uh, in Magic, people talk about, like, X deck is better than Y deck or whatever reason, whoop-de-woo. But I don't think players really talk about, like, hey, here's how to maximize your potential as a player or, like, maximize your strengths within the moment. Um, like, yeah, testing or whatever, you can grow as a player and, you know, expand your range. But there's a point where you have to acknowledge, like, this deck may be objectively better in the metagame, uh, which I don't know if Stifle Rug is better. Like, there's a lot of players playing it right now, which I can go into in a second. But, uh, you know, you as a player may be better as No Bad Cards Rug. Um, I mean, Stifle probably has a better regards to range versus No... Like, as far as if your metagame's less defined, like if you're going to play Delver Mirrors and Storm against Storm and different things, Stifle probably has more range in that versus the cards in no bad card rug or no part no bad's card rug is probably more of a more powerful deck where you don't have as 
you know, instead of having that open-endedness of stifle, all your cards 100% do something. Right, right. Um, I I definitely agree. It's like stifle kind of ups your percentage against combo, not because you can like stifle storm triggers, but mostly just because you can like not let them have mana, which means your cap your soft permission is right, alive that's... way longer. So you probably have a bit of a better storm matchup in theory. Um, but I don't know. Like I as a player prefer like no bad cards just because I'm like better at range magic. Well, in theory, your blue um, count's higher for force of will and force of negations. Like there's a lot. I think there's a lot going into it for Stifle being better against those combo decks. But at the same time, like it's it's so bad if they play around it. <laughs> yeah, Stifle's also like really good against. It's really good. Well, it's good against newer players, but also like it's good in fields where people aren't expecting it as much. And with everybody hyping up like the no bad cards rug list, it makes sense for people to just play stifle. Um because you get the added equity. But like on the flip side, if like right now, like you're seeing a lot of stifle list pop up on Moto. So if you're playing against like a rug deck and you think they have stifle, <coughs> um you're gonna play differently. And if you're playing no bad cards rug and you you think your opponent is on the level where they will respect Stifle if you represent it, you can get the value out of Stifle by not even having it in your deck just by playing, like, a slower pace game. Yes. Right? So it's just one of those things of, like, you know, it's... I think it's mostly just a play style matter. I Like I said, I really like Sorba One's list, the list that won the quarter lane. Uh... I may try something like it. Uh, like I said, I haven't been super happy with Hex Shrinker. It's just like a one-drop, but it's it's such a medium card. Like, I don't you don't level it up that much. You don't have the time to. If you have, like, actual time and manage to level it up, just like anything would kill your opponent, it's, it's such a whatever card. So the idea of having, like, Hooting Mandrel, Shrinking, and, like, Delver and Goyf as your creature threat package and then having stifle as your additional one drops is really nice against a good subset of the format um so the next question thomas berkemeyer asked with less major televised legacy tournaments do you think the paper meta and online meta game will further grow apart how do you feel about that steve i don't think the meta games ever really mattered in reference to each other because in one metagame you can change your cards at will with very little cost and the other metagame your cards are really stupid expensive and it costs you a lot to change your cards so uh what you're saying is like on paper people can just like hit up mana traders or card hoarder and buy, you know, a tabernacle for five cents or whatever, right? And try that in their deck as opposed to paper where it's like, oh, if I want to try tabernacle, I have to spend a thousand dollars or know someone with a tabernacle who is a thousand dollars is cute by the so way. So there is like they're like they're like sixteen hundred dollars to seventeen. I don't know card prices. I don't own magic cards, Steve. 
Like, I barely have a collection at this point. Um, but yeah, like, still, you're further, like, centrating my point. Just, like, in Paper Magic, if you want to try new cards, there's an inherent cost, and you're just like, I may not do this because of the cost, whereas Moto, that cost isn't as relevant. Uh, the other thing is, like, so on Moto player, like you said, Moto players more likely to try different things and by nature also try different decks because they can afford to just flip-flop and swap things right. around, what have you. Um, on Moto, you can try new decks at whim based on like people you know slash card loaning services. Um, bonds. It's really easy to get cards. Right. Where in paper, you yeah. unless you order it online like you you're depending on your shops you know as far as like i mean it's just it's i don't think they'll ever be the same for that reason alone i do think the moto metagame also is faster as far as like cards are tried out and then results are spread across by word of mouth into a much faster rate like you tried oko and post yeah, now it's like stock. And it's, that's just yeah, that's just how Moto works. Like somebody tries something, you tell people about it, everybody's doing it. Well, and like, the thing was, was I was playing Oko whatever. in paper, like, but like nobody would ever know. Nobody outside right, of my like, local store would know that. Right, like dissemination of information uh, and credit for who tries stuff. Like I've gotten credit for Oko in Delver, and it's just like I didn't come up with that. Like you mentioned it to me. That Oko may be playable. I was like, I'm not even going to be playing that much Legacy, but I'll keep that in mind. And then I forgot. <laughs> and then I saw Capolo play, like, tweet about Oko, and I was like, oh, I should do that thing and try it. And then I just like, well, I'm not. I wasn't worried about um, about. I'm not even worried about like that. What I'm saying is like me because I don't play Moda. Like I can do well in paper, but it won't right. ever really go around. Even with like Star Cities and stuff like that. Like, that's not going to be published as far as, like, people aren't going to know it. But the Moto 5.0 decklist sure. is flying every week, you know. Right. Also, like, if you're playing a paper legacy event, making arbitrary hedges towards Tundra and Delver are totally reasonable. Like, I normally don't like making metagame calls, but Tundra decks and Delver decks are always like representative, represented or just overrepresented. I don't think I've ever played a legacy tournament where I didn't play against like two Tundra players and two to two to four Delver decks. And dancing. Like I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan. It's always in yeah, paper. Yeah. It was. Uh, yep. We we missed uh, Nicholas Wong. Ant versus Tess in the current meta. Uh, I think they're pretty close right now. Like when the best deck is a very mid rangey rug Delver deck, then your storm deck is going to be pretty good, right? So, um, the arbitrary differences in terms of like what turn, uh. Like you go off is not super relevant. I think um, ants ant being faster or ants or 
test being faster has relevance against the other portions of the metagame. But I also think like where I thought test was bad because Plague Engineer was everywhere, it's not. So I like test against Rug Delver. And they're not even hedging for it anymore, so like empty's really good against them. Um I also like tests in the mirror. Yeah, like so I guess the ant's probably a little bit it's, more favored. But ant but because you like taking away raw resources, being able to empty even for like a small empty is good enough. So Yeah, like I uh I don't know. I think that both storm decks are pretty good right now. I think there are times where like I think the way the storm decks work is like when Tess is good, Ant is good, but when Ant is good, Tess isn't always as good. I think there are formats where Tess not being as resilient and not being able to play a long game. Uh, basically, when Miracles is a playable deck, um, I think Tess loses a pretty decent amount of value. Um, but I think right now, like I think either is fine. Uh, in the dark, I think I would gravitate towards Ant. But that's mostly to because like Ant plays to my strengths as a player in terms of um It's a control deck. It can, I'm sorry, it can be a control. It can be a control deck. It can you can play yeah. a longer game, right? Like you can go into the match and go, I'm gonna play a longer game with Pass and Flames, whereas Tess is like not like it can play a longer game, but it's not really that adept at it. It it just like tries to and it it can like very awkwardly fall apart on you. Yeah, I mean, I always think Ant's cool because it can it can be a control deck with a combo finish. A lot of times it can get away with that very very easily. Um, and Tess does have, like, kind of a critical... I don't know, I think the latest versions have got, like, Echoes, Eons as a Witchboard, stuff like that. Like, I don't know those, that newer stuff. I haven't played it since Mox Opal was incorporated. Uh, yeah, they have, like, the draw seven, which is fine. It's, like, a solid card. Um, I just think that, like, when Miracles is really good, like, Miracles pilots hate losing to Storm, so they're more likely to play, like... Like, you're likely to have, like, the triple counterbalance plus stuff suite. Um, whereas, like, when Delver is popular... Like, people are going to try to not lose the storm, but you're still just going to body them because you're an empty the Warrens deck. So, right now, both are really good. Uh, if the format shifts away, like, without knowing which way it's going to shift, I would not be shocked if Ant just intrinsically becomes the more powerful deck or, like, in the dark, better deck to play. Did you have any questions from your retweets? Uh, I don't really see anything. If someone did, uh, say anything, then I'm sorry that I missed it. Uh, because uh, I did post the Discord questions into the document. Um, and that's a new feature, the Discord, right? Yes, yes. Dylan hit me up and was like, hey, I have some ideas for the Discord. And I was like, I'm at work. Just do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have the Robert Wilson barbecue tips section, which uh, sometime soon he will 
have his own little section on the podcast to give you those fire barbecue <laughs> tips. Because uh, I remember one time Robert Wilson made a joke about grilling in the winter, and it wasn't a joke. His power had gone out, so he was grilling in the middle of Ohio winter because this man does not play about his food. Uh, so, gang, gang, I guess. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, let's dive cool. into the couple of Discord questions we have. Uh, so, yeah, start with Steve Sizemore's while I'm fixing something. Sure. Uh, Steve asks, do you think Wizards is pushing the power level cards not just because of standard, but because it encourages modern and legacy players to buy single driving sealed product sales? Um, <clears throat> I think I think what happened is Wizard has hired a bunch of former pro players who uh, you know, you have pro players designing cards that they would like to play against, but maybe there isn't those like those checks and balances of like power level. But also, like I mentioned before, there is the whole oh, NTG arena factor and a, like like reducing variance if you're creating a best of one format. So you're just getting a lot of cards that do a lot of things, uh, so that for the players who are newer who care about just playing cards as opposed to their cards mattering they get to play their cards and have them have some sort of game text uh which for players who like care if the cards do something it's miserable because it's like all of these cards are just too pushed so yeah, I don't think it's a matter of just like trying to get modern and legacy players to buy singles because like if they wanted modern and legacy players to buy singles, they put on like more modern and and legacy GPs or like they do more legacy GPs specifically, right? There's like two North American ones a year. There'd be like way more if they wanted legacy players to buy more singles. I don't think they. So, ma- I don't think um our buying power matters to them. In fact, I don't actually think they want our buying power. You know, in a weird way, because like the they want to move towards standard only. That's easier for them to design for. It's easier for them to have to, you know, not worry about mistakes like you know Hogak and all and Urza and whatever name a card that's been printed in the last like couple years. So like, if you don't have to worry about any of that stuff, like Splinter Twin, Splinter Twin never would have been a design mistake if Deceiver Exarch. Hadn't happened, you know. I guess that was in the same standard, though. So, yeah, that was in the same standard, and custom had already existed. I think it's more like, just like I've noticed legacy players saying, "Like I buy product," and obviously, wizards notices. No. It's just like you buying like a couple rares every three months isn't enough for wizards to care. Like the legacy community realistically doesn't actually present enough um like doesn't it doesn't produce enough revenue for watsi to realistically like care about it past just like what they're doing now it's just like the token events and the stand well it's just more i think it's too much of a headache for them to care because even if they started caring like you know you see the modern horizons product come out it's modern you know themed and designed and 
most people are complaining about half the cards and they've already had to ban one of the cards. So, you know, like that, that doesn't show them like we should work on modern stuff more. And, you know, they're like, no, we'll just go to standard. And as far as like standard cards being powerful, I think it is like best of one. Like best of one is re- played very much on um, MTG Arena. I play it all the time because it's easy. Like I can get in, play my game and walk away. You know, it's, I can play a game so fast. And, you know, having modal cards that are also powerful and all that stuff, it fits that bill, you know. There's a. Well, isn't like the inherent issue just like. If they support legacy, that increases the demand for legacy stuff, right? Yeah, but they can't get past the reserve list. <laughs> right. So, like. They can increase the demand, but they can't su- increase the supply. So, like, all it will do is cause more problems within the legacy community if people are just going like, "Oh man, I can't actually afford to play legacy because, like, there's all these legacy events, but all the cards are a million dollars." So it's just kind of a thing where they're just like, "Yeah, you're gonna get two legacy events a year," uh, which doesn't increase the demand by any relevant margin, uh, and the supply is also like. At a reasonably acceptable I mean, rate. Underground C is around for revised. <laughs> for revised. It's like you yeah. can get them as cheap as about three eighty and they go quickly up to five hundred dollars. Um Volcanic Island is pretty much the same. And when I say like you can buy them for three eighty, you can buy list them to a different store for three seventy five. But like the buy list is up there, you know. Underground seas are stupid expensive. Even like the worst one, I think, is now Tundra. As far as blue duels, is still like two something. So like you can't you can't yeah, make. I mean, you can't make it go higher. Badlands is like two hundred and eighty dollars. Uh, so like you have to just like watch what you're doing. Um, maybe it's two hundred. I don't know. I know they're all expensive. Like, yep. if Wizards wanted to support Legacy, they'd have to start with abolishing reserve lifts just to print dual lands to actually like allow people to get into the format, which is something they're very clearly not going to do anytime soon. Uh, well, they have to ever. recoup that. So they have to recoup that legal battle. <laughs> like it would have to be. They'd have to make more money I mean, than what they would have to deal with for the legal battle on headaches. I heard that Watsy lawyers will slap the living shit out of you. So, um, but like yeah, that's the thing, like, right? Like they they would still have to do a legal fight. Like they'd have to go into that and have to spend money. So they'd have to be able to justify, like, well, we're going to spend this many dollars to earn this many dollars, and everybody can say what they want. Oh, well, we would buy those packs like crazy. This, that, and the other. You know what? Right now they're there, people are buying these collector booster packs and these super mythic edition things, and it was like four hundred and fifty dollars. And they're not having to do any legal battles, and they're collecting that money. So we, you know, we can theorize that whatever we want, like you know, oh, we would, you know, they could make twenty five dollar legacy master packs. Well, they're selling thirty dollar collector's edition packs with crap cars in them that don't require a legal fight. So <laughs> I don't think that. I don't, it's hard to justify to make that fight for wizards. 
Yeah, like if Magic Online is keeping Legacy alive, and it, everyone who likes to talk shit about Moto, if you are a Legacy player, you should probably shut up because you and modern like <laughs> if you keep like if you keep disrespecting Moto, you are going to be playing empty. <laughs> you know, you're going to be playing draft against bots on MTG Arena. Uh, so you should have right. fun doing that. I guess. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, I, like I said, I definitely think that. Uh, I, I think they don't care about legacy or modern when they design these cards. I don't even think they care about modern. I think they just are designing powerful cards because they sell. They sell to standard players, and that's all they really, they really want need to make happy. You know, that's all they really have to do is to make happy as standard players, and it makes sense. Like they've had sets like Homelands where all the cards sucked. And magic didn't do as well then. Like, so you know they 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 have the history. They've seen when they have low power sets, they don't do as well. You know, so I don't think that there's any reason to think for a second that they're not just going to keep pushing powerful cards out. Yeah, I can I can see it. Um, what was the next? It's an question? average question, I believe. It's also from Short Boy <laughs> Hovey, right? Average. Oh yes, he is average height in our Discord. When Run and uh, Six was printed, why did I give? When Run and Six was printed, many people were thinking that it would be best fit in a land style deck, whether an aggro loam lands or Knight of the Reliquary deck, like Deathrite Shaman. It found its best home home in blue decks. You think the ability to put cantrips around powerful cards is going to end up putting pressure on wizards to ban a blue card like Ponder, Days, or a Brainstorm, especially if they keep their current design strategy up? Uh, nah, that would require them to, like, I mean, basically what we just <laughs> talked about. Like, there isn't enough incentive to actually do things to actually, like, make Legacy, uh, like, holistically better format, per se, in the abstract. So, when you look at a card like Ponder and it's just like, oh yeah, this card is kind of messed up. Maybe we should do something about it. Things are getting a little spicy out here in these streets. Um, it's kind of just like whatever, right? Like, who cares if the guys playing Legacy are like minorly miserable by the ignorance that is going on when you can just like turn up? I've, I mean, for me, it's not even. I don't think the blue cards are the problem, and you know, I, I know I'm a blue mage saying this, so I know a lot of people are going to say, you know, of course you don't. But I think that if you really wanted to solve all the issues with all the cards throughout the history, you take away fetch lands. And I know, like a lot of people would never like Ooh. that, but fetch lands have caused all the problems. Deathrite died for fetch lands since uh, Sensei's divining top. Part of its death. Fetch lands because you could fetch and retop. Uh, Brainstorm, Brainstorm is too powerful because of fetch lands. All the Dell spells, fetch lands. Like everything is fetch lands. And cheating happens because we touch our decks because of fetch lands. Like it would solve everything, get rid of fetch lands. <laughs> but they never will do it. Uh, you know, it, it, it drives me crazy. Like fetch lands are such a problem as far as like they make. They make tournaments last longer. They cause cheating to happen. 
and they empower all these cards. Run in six. He's only broken because of fetch lands. You take fetch lands out of the picture, he's not quite as broken. Uh, a lot of things, even Delver of Secrets benefits from fetch lands. Check my Delver trigger. Card sucks. Flip Delver, then fetch it away. Like fetch lands cause so many problems. I'm done with my fetch rant. So, um, I was unaware that my co-host was Rich Shea. Oh, wow. Um, has has he been, complained about Fetchlands? He's been on the, yeah, he's, he, everything you just said has been encapsulated in a Rich Oh, Shea I need tweet. to go check this tweet out um, and like it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. retweet, follow. Call me A-Tagged A-Tagged. Working on it right now. Um, no, but... Uh, so over the weekend, Josh Shields and Thomas Berkemeyer played Legacy events. They both played Miracles. Uh, Josh has had a pretty insane run on Moto with One Entreat Miracles, and Thomas has also played One Entreat Miracles, but with Deprive. Both of them made the finals of their event. Thomas won. Josh uh, lost in the finals to Aggro alone. After the tournament, both of them were just like, oh my god, I haven't played Paper Miracles in forever. I forgot how, like, you know, you haven't played Paper Magic in forever. It's like, oh man, this deck can take a while. Because on Moto, things such as cracking your fetch lane to get a land take two seconds. In paper, it's like, oh, gotta find my mystic sanctuary. Hold on, gotta, mm, gotta, okay, pick up my deck, shut, flick through it, gotta, gotta keep flicking, gotta pull up, all right, mystic sanctuary, founder it, put it on the table, announce my trigger, shuffle my deck. All right, what card do I want to get? Um, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the thing back on top. I'm gonna need you to shuffle my deck, opponent, like. It's like a whole excruciating 30-second process to a minute. And um, that is partially because of fetch lands. I don't know if I agree with we should ban fetch lands in terms of like a like a total... Like, and objectively, yeah, ban fetch lands, right? Subjectively, yeah, I, mean, I don't know about that. Um, yeah. Like, what are we going to have to stifle? Like, you can't stifle basic lands entering play. Like, what are you... Why would you do that to Tan and Grace, Stephen? Tannen doesn't like to play Stifle anymore anyway. Tannen owes Stifle a lot of money, and one day it's going to come to collect, so, you know, he has to he has to keep getting that guap. But he's good enough that he would Stifle them playing the land, and they'd probably put it in the graveyard. Like, they would put it, they would put it on the battlefield, and they'd go... Basic land, they'd like stifle it. Yeah, imagine, snow. imagine the world where like Delver doesn't play fetch land, so like just stifling Delver triggers in the dark becomes just like the, the baseline play. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, tell you why. Uh, I didn't even know about this tweet. I've read it. Uh, I love it. I'm very happy with it. Um, he didn't go quite on the same rants that I did. He was much. I probably ranted more like Rich than Rich ranted like Rich because I was. Going off, he did say to say stop and death rate, but like I feel like all the cards, like everything, like even dig through time and treasure cruise would not have been as powerful if fetch lands didn't exist. Like if you look at probably the last bunch of bannings, 
minus probe, all of them are because fetch lands exist. Cards that abuses fetch lands. Yeah, it's like very easy. It's a very easy to identify systemic like issue, but eh, it like kind of bricks the format that people like. So it's kind of it's just one of those things of like, do you want a healthy gameplay experience or do you want like legacy? And legacy isn't a healthy gameplay experience because it's just a bunch of design mistakes. It's like a bunch of ignorant cards. It's a bunch of just like problematic like bullshit. It's like you know you're you get to wasteland more. You get to wasteland more people. Yeah, I can go on a thirty minute rant about why wasteland is a card that shouldn't be legal in legacy, but like it's part of just like the format's identity, so we just accept it. And it's like yeah, no, 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 no. You would get to wasteland more people if they couldn't fetch for their basics. Oh, we're we're going back you, to like you we're would, going back to like Odyssey standard where people just played like four tundra, <laughs> like four, <laughs> four like <laughs> you have to miracles playing Terramorphic Expanse. <laughs> no, there, no fetch lands, none, none zero. They're Ter- gone. <laughs> Terramorphic Expanse. That oh my god, that would be the day. <laughs> Bandless, Scalding Tarn, Myth, Prismatic Vista, <laughs> whatever the the new like janky Prismatic Vista is. Fa- Fable and, Passage. Uh, that one. Misty Rainforest, <laughs> Terramorphic Expanse. They're just like what? And they're like, yeah, don't touch your deck for any reason other than draw cards. Oh, <laughs> why the the slow fetch lands that come into play tapped and the lands come into play tapped? No, like <laughs> Pre- they're Pre- all gone. The shuffle effect of the format. Right, right. Get your impulse. <laughs> you just retweet Rich from the podcast Twitter account. <laughs> I didn't didn't see that. I was logged into our accounts to look up the questions, and I saw that we didn't retweet this. I felt bad, <laughs> so I fixed it. Okay, man. <laughs> I don't really. Care. <laughs> I was just like, oh, Thirsty Knowledge PV. Retweeted. I was like, "Oh, I like thirst for knowledge and teach." Wait, I am what? <laughs> you like you like Doctor Shea. You respect the Shea. You were helping him on stream not too long ago. Yeah, see, we're 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 uh we are um backing up Mr. Shea on Van He's actually streaming right now, and I'm like also watching his stream. He has Rinden Six and Oko in play against his opponent, who has like. Two basic planes, two basic islands, and a Caracas. So, uh, yeah, he just Good turned game. his food token. His opponent is F six and has a food token attacking them. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Mister or Mrs. Rich Shea's opponent. Hopefully, you have a terminus here. Oh, they didn't have the terminus. They don't. They have a wasteland. Oh, so it's Stoneblade. Wasteland seems like a really good card to play against Rendon Six. Oh, are they playing? Oh, they played Supreme Verdict. What is what is Rich gonna do? What is hold on, hold on, hold on? Oh, he drew a Delver Secrets, and is he's making more food and plussing both of his Planeswalkers. This is healthy and exciting gameplay for for Legacy Magic: The Gathering. Pose just had 15 life staring down two planeswalkers out of a Delver deck, just getting absolutely bodied. Oh, what are they doing? Are they gonna 
casting. Oh, they're hard casting batter skull. Did you know so, that Rich Shay could turn this batter skull into a three-three elk and a lightning bolt hit? Yes. Oh, I'm glad you're aware of this. His opponent is about to find out. Oh, he also just flipped his Delver off of a lightning bolt to pair with the one in his hand. Yes, this this episode is slowly turning into just like a complete shit post, but uh I I'm totally here for for this. You're you're gonna get the live the live cast of Richie's stream from Thursday night or something. <laughs> Pull your batter skull. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his opponent is just oh on a side god, note. Is, oh my god, this is just. Have you ever just seen someone get disrespected, and you're just like, you have to find out where this person lives and murder their family. That is yes. what's happening to Rich's opponent. Like they plowed his Delver, but he still has an Oko and still has a Raven Six in play. Oh, they played a Jace the Mind Sculptor, Steven. They played a J, Steven. Guess what they're going to have to do? There's a food token. Oh, they brainstormed? They brainstormed in the face of a food token? With an Oko in play? Yeah. You know your struggle busting, Steven. There's... Mm. Oh. Well, I mean, this goes back to what we said. J sucks. You know? This oh. is the, the... Rich just drew a forcible for whatever counts as judgment his opponent just found. He's making another elk. He's fucking slapping his opponent's nuts. <laughs> Assuming they're male, right? Like, we don't condone violence against women, so we're just going to say slapping their nuts. Oh, there's a Gideon ally of Zendikar that's about to get force of willed. It, we don't. We don't condone violence pretty much yeah, for anybody. Unless the they, best part about this is Rich doesn't even have to force will because even if his opponent like has a spell pierce, he can just ult his Renin Six and double bolt the Gideon. It's it, oh my god, that wasn't even close. Anyway, where were we in terms of the podcast? Oh, shout out to Rich Shea on on uh, Twitter and uh, Twitch. He's at Rich Shea, and I think he's also at Rich Shea on Twitter or something. Uh. <laughs> Also, he he's really cool because he wants to ban fetchlands, which started this whole time. <laughs> yeah, he's also at the Atog Lord on uh, the thing on the tweeter. Uh, ban Ren and Six, please. I'm so tired of this. Like, I'm I'm a fan of free money, but um, I'm I also prefer enjoyable gameplay experiences. And Renin Six is not an enjoyable gameplay experience to a degree that's pretty egregious because, um, yeah, just everything that you just heard of, I clicked on my planeswalker and it did something relevant to the game state, and my opponent did things, they cast spells, and it didn't matter. Uh, is, um, yeah, yeah. We do have to give uh, shout outs to uh, our awesome Discord because they're great. I love I don't uh, I don't open it up enough because sometimes like uh, there won't be much going on. And then all of a sudden there'll be like a flurry of activity for like 40 hours. <laughs> I 
So the but yeah, the Discord's I great. Have avoided public forums for a while because like a lot of forums about magic decks often have the breakdown of like 80% people who are new to magic in some way or haven't accomplished something and uh really want to be respected. And what ends up happening is like they just kind of scream at everybody just like their ideas and blah blah blah. It's like, okay, whatever, and stuff. And then there's, like, a 10% of people who are, like, pretty good at magic, but realize that they still have, like, room to grow. And they, like, want to help people, but they're just, like, overwhelmed by the number of people who just, like, don't know what they're talking about. And then uh, there's, like... 10% masters or something who just don't talk. And that's basically been my experience in most open forums. And what I like about our Discord is there's a lot of just open discussion and just people talking about things. And even if people don't agree, it's not like, hey, I'm right because I want to be respected. It's just like, yo, I'm just here to talk and here's my idea. If you like it, that's sweet. If you don't like it, I'd like to discuss why you don't like it and maybe we both can like learn something. Uh, as opposed to other like magic forums where it's mostly just people trying to like out big brain each other. So uh, I can dig it. I can definitely dig it. Also, shout out to the uh, Community Legacy League. Like, guys have been around for a while, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've been around for a good minute. Um, their contact info is going to be in the show notes. Basically, there's just like a free moto, uh, like free to enter, free to play, like legacy, like community driven legacy league, and they have a small price payouts. So, um, that's pretty sick. Uh, also, like I recently started listening to the Colors of Magic or Color of Magic podcast, and they're pretty good. Uh, so I highly recommend them. Um, definitely gonna continue plugging various podcasts and other people on here. So, yeah. Uh, what else is there? Our Patreon. We got some new patrons. Anders, uh, I see you out here. I appreciate you. He, or Anders. Um, yeah, he decided he wanted to live that rug life. Wasn't feeling the tundras over the weekend. Uh, he didn't have the best weekend, but it was like happy that he he subbed to the Patreon. Uh, he got fairly unlucky in matches, so um, that's unfortunate. And then Elliot F joined. Um, other than that, there's just our social media links, right? Just the the standard uh, Steve at uh, Twitter at that really I really wish was easier. <laughs> to Raceland I am. Yeah, Raceland I am. <laughs> At JRPG fan 72. <laughs> Dragonlance <laughs> Chronicles. Is it from Dragonlance Chronicles? I I should Well, Dragonlance. Yeah. Yep. Dra Raceland was the Wizard of Time uh Master of Past and Presence, Hourglass Mage. 
just a wizard from way back in the day, like Dungeons and Dragons old school, like 1980-something? Long time That's a very fitting screen name for someone who plays Tundra Decks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. time. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) Just hit him with the, you shall give us five extra turns. (laughs) (laughs) Well... You want to go back, like, or uh, what is it? Um, AOL. <laughs> dating, dating myself. I, I created the... AOL, Steve. I, 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 I <laughs> we was, we was popping out mad at those free trials. Cause did anyone actually pay for AOL? Cause no, I remember free trial discs like, were having, amazing. Like a million of the free trial discs, just like, just stacks on stacks of them. How did they make money? <laughs> like, they're not around anymore. Just saying. True. <laughs> True. But uh, that was my Raceland I am was my screen name. Because it was like I, Raceland was already taken. Some other smart person got it first. So I, I made it. Well, I am Raceland. But I, nice. but I made it Raceland I am. And I've stuck with it ever then, since because I've never had to worry about that username being taken. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, mine is just my name, and we're going to shorten this whole segment from now on. If you go to our podcast Twitter, twitter.com backslash thirst for cast, you will find links to Steve's Twitter, my Twitter, and our editor Kwame's Twitter. Um, so that way you don't have to worry about spelling Raceland I am uh, and going deep on all of that. We should have a Vorthos episode. Like, we should definitely. But it, it would have to be a Vorthos episode pre, like, most recent magic, because, like, old Vorthos stuff was, like, really cool. Like, the stuff with, like, Akroma and, like, Urza, like, that was really interesting story stuff. But, like, new like, new magic story just reads, like, Tumblr fanfiction. It's just, like, and then all the white people went to Egypt land, and then the ginger got really sexually attracted to the elfish girl because representation matters. And, um, yeah, and then the white savior saved all the brown people from their false god. And Richie tweets about it, and then a bunch of white dudes at him and are just like, you're digging too deep, bro. <clears throat> like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm not saying that's a thing that happened, but there was totally a shut up brown guy moment on when Rich Shea was just like, hey, this is kind of suspect that this happened. Uh, just saying. So, yeah. Shout out to Rich Shea. Shout out to the magic community being overwhelmingly white and ignorant of other cultures and uh, the uh, wishes and needs and basic respect of non-eurocentric ideology <laughs> the worst part is i'm sober at this point i don't even care i'm it's just been that kind of week where i'm just like <laughs> you just you just you just knifing knifing people <laughs> you ever just hit a point in the week where you're just angry at white people yes <laughs> like i think everyone can like you just like today one of my coworkers was on her period, right? And she was cramping real bad. Like she she was physically red, like just red. 
And it was just like, oh, you're really struggling. So she left early. And my boss needed her to do something and was like, oh, it's okay. This other guy can do it. And the other guy then complained about having to do this thing that would take like 30 minutes to do because this coworker had to leave because she was in so much physical pain that she couldn't stand up straight. And I was just like, you are garbage. So that is where I'm at with today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next week, folks. Uh, we'll something, see you. something, something may have stuff on the Patreon soon. You should go sub to that. Support the podcast. Get better recording equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> have a good night. Uh, this is... <laughs> This has been a very magical episode. <laughs> uh, I was going to call this episode something different, but now I want to just like call it a clock, clockwork something. Just very. Now that's a little too much. That's, that's a little too much. Just. <sighs> Who Delver is the Delverman. Mm, that, that seems a little too pretentious. I'm just going to keep it with a gangster rap lyric that nobody's going to get. Hey, thanks, Lawrence and Steve. It's your boy, Robert Wilson, Legacy's Most Known Unknown. And I'm here to tell you why your grandma has been misplaying your entire life. My grandma, Hovey's grandma, your grandma. My grandma's been dead for 15 years, and I'm still pissed about this. So probably what your grandma did was teach you that boiling corn was the best way to do it. No, that's incorrect. It's a misplay. I'm going to tell you the best way to cook the tastiest juicy corn. The best way to do it is leave the corn in the husk and grill it on each side, five minutes, 400 degrees. So the reason this is the best way to cook corn is because the heat from the grill releases the moisture from the husk. And that creates the best juicy corn without sacrificing the flavor that boiling causes. So join us next week for more hot takes. And if you want to find me to talk about corn or new Delver brews, join us in the Discord or hit me up at Robert underscore H underscore Wilson on Twitter. If you want to fight me about how your grandma is better than my dead grandma, you can find me at ShaheenMTG on Twitter. And remember... Just because you're thirsty doesn't mean you have to go hungry.